0: Welcome to the Best Picture Cast. I'm your host, Kieran B. I completed my goal of watching every Oscar Best Picture winner ever and decided to start a podcast to review each one. Each episode, myself and revolving co-hosts will discuss, assess, and evaluate a different Best Picture winner with the goal to establish a ranking for the entire list. This is not a who-should-have-won podcast podcast. We're here to discuss the inner circle of movies who took home The Crown in their respective years. As a disclaimer, this is an opinion-based podcast and a subjective discussion by movie enthusiasts who don't always claim to be trained experts. If we destroy your favorite movie or praise a movie you think is trash, we encourage you to write us in at our email, which of course is yahoo.com. You can get us on any of our social medias. We're at bestpicturecast.com. That's three words, best picture cast. And we're at Instagram, we're at Facebook, we're at Letterboxd, we're at Twitter. Please come and get us, reach out to us. And we're back yet again for another best picture winner. And uh, I'm very excited to do this one. This is a, a lengthier one. It's the third longest best picture winner. And it is of course, Ben Hur. And I have uh, two guests with me today, one who is a, p- a pretty regular voice and one who is coming from, from afar, from, from many deserts away.
1: And I'll introduce them now. First, we have Grant C. Grant, welcome. Thank you very much for having me back. Um appreciate being on this episode much lighter than my previous one. Yes, yeah. yes. So looking yep. forward to this conversation. Grant is, of
0: course, referring to 12 Years a Slave. It was a very, um, it was a great episode. It was a heavy episode. It was, it was... great,
1: but man.
0: Yes. It took, man. <laughs> took a lot out of all this. Yeah, yes.
1: it was, it was taxing. Yes. yes. Emotionally taxing.
0: And our third guest here today is uh, coming from uh, across the country, out, out in Seattle. And he is Adam St. John from 1001 by one and From Below Freezing. Adam, how are you doing today?
2: I am doing fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show back on. You know, I I I'd, I'd like to say that the St. Johns aren't sore losers, uh, but that's just not true. <laughs> so, you know, we are, we're doing we're licking our wounds over here on the West
0: Coast. That's right and and uh Adam is of course referring to his and his wife's appearance in our sub-50 tournament. Both Adam and Melissa joined us on our sub-50 preview episode you could you heard their voices for the first time there at least on the best picture cast airwaves and you guys picked a picked a few movies and the one that went the furthest was was one of your choices adam and that was the skulls It went into the save bracket and was one of the survivors of the save bracket and uh, went down in the quarterfinals
2: yeah yeah it did it did but it'll it'll live on just just like the way that paul walker will continue to endure in the fast and the furious franchise so will the skulls in my heart, so <laughs>
1: there you go, there you go, and it did have a nice little
0: showing. There was a, there was a contingent. It was, out there for you it.
1: know what? I was rooting for it. I was very much pulling for it. I love that movie.
0: Yeah, and and while you know you say that you guys are sort sore losers out on the west coast, me and Grant here didn't do much better. So we were we were no. knocked out pretty quick too. <laughs> yeah. I got the, I got the clean sweep, and Grant, uh, who's usually our champion around here, got knocked off too. It yeah, was... yeah
1: he got second round. I got kicked out. So
0: that's right. It's new for me. That's right. It was of course twins Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Taking home the crown, the, the tag team that no one could stop in this in this thing. But we are not here to talk about Arnold. We're not here to talk about Danny DeVito. We're not here to talk about twins, the skulls, the island of Dr. Moreau, any of those <laughs> sorts of things, but Mac and me. We're back to talking Best Picture winners. And the one we're talking about today is Ben-Hur, William Wyler's 1959 epic. I think a movie that's often synonymous with movies, or at least with, yeah. uh, with epics or sword and sandals. I, I think that... Well, maybe not everyone's seen Ben-Hur. I think that it's one of those movies that everyone knows what it is.
1: Oh, for sure. Everyone knows that it's an epic. Like, I feel like it's just synonymous. They just go together.
0: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And Grant, what was your first experience with Ben-Hur? Is this, is this your first experience with Ben-Hur?
1: Uh, for the full, full watch, yeah. Um, I would say the most been i of scene before this was, um, in Oliver Stone's Any Given Sunday <laughs> when these or Al Pacino's <laughs> arguing with Jamie Foxx and is splicing in moments of the chariot race. <laughs> I'm like, all right, Oliver, I know what you're trying to say here, but let's tone it down a little bit. Uh, uh but, uh, but then, um, that's really all I knew. I knew it was a Charlton Heston movie that, um, you know, a biblical time. I didn't know it was this biblical. I had no idea there was, was this much uh Jesus in it. But yeah, so then I, you know, the other over two nights I I watched it and that that was it. And here we are. Here we are.
0: Adam, what was your first experience with with Ben-Hur? I don't think this is a first watch for you, right?
2: No, this is a third watch. Um I remember uh at one point back when you could buy movies in stores, really? You know, they had stores Ooh. had physical movies you could buy. Um, Warner Brothers had put out hmm. these uh, big old box sets of the these classic big movies um, and I remember I, I to- vividly remember there was a sale it was like two for 20 and I picked up uh, Ben-Hur and Gone with the Wind because they were just you know I'm trying to build my little film library and they though, and as we were talking like synonymous with epics so I was like I gotta have these movies because right you just do and um, I watched it probably when I was nineteen twenty and was underwhelmed by it and uh not to you know blatantly foreshadow my thoughts but that really hasn't changed i'm just a bit more particular about those reasons why but no yeah i I saw it when i was 20 and thought this was yeah it's it's epic it's grand in scale but uh yeah that's about it
0: so for me this is it's been a while on this one it's been probably over 10 years and i think when I wanted to start up again, start the quest up again of watching all these. I, I went out and tried to buy as many DVDs as I did, like just, Adam, just like you, you said too. And this was the first one I grabbed. It was right there. I, I knew it was uh, a Best Picture winner and, and went after it. And it's one of those older DVDs. Grand. You, you barred it here for this yep. thing where you have to flip it over, you know, to see the uh, – <laughs> it's like, like uh, when the videotapes, like, I think like Titanic and Heat and some of the bigger ones came in two tapes – these DVDs you had to you had to flip over as you go. So
1: you know it's an old DVD when one of the features says interactive menu. <laughs> that's that's when you're like, oh, okay. All right, so this is from like when a DVDs first started. And I should say
0: also how we kind of came up with the idea for this episode. I was uh, I was on the One Thousand and One by One podcast uh, with with you, Adam, for Roman Holiday, which mm-hmm. is starring uh, Audrey Hepburn part. and and. BPC whipping post Gregory Peck and directed by William Wyler. And we were on that and we were talking about William Wyler's filmography and, and Ben-Hur came up as a Best Picture winner at the time. Uh, myself, you, Adam, and, and your co-host Ian were talking about Ben-Hur. And I guess you guys were more or less split on it at the time, at least. And I think it was one that he, he had some admiration for. You were not so sure on. And we said on on the air, more or less, we're going to you know, why don't the three of us come together and do a, a best picture cast episode? We'll have one of uh, one of the re- uh, regular best picture cast co-hosts on with it also, and we'll we'll make an episode out of it. So we had we had planned to do that. Uh, sadly, between now and then, uh, Ian Ian sadly passed away. But we wanted to do this anyway as uh, as a tribute to him and a, a tribute to what we had planned as well. So um, we we have him here in spirit. I'm sure uh, I'm sure you feel the same there with that.
2: You know I I know that he would and. Uh I especially towards the 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 later episodes of our podcast, he he would frequently reference watching these classic films with his 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 grandmother. And uh, I think this is one of those ones where he he would tell you that there are flaws and there are major flaws. And Ian, by no means was a was a religious person. But I think he he could see past the flaws more than I could. And I think he appreciated the scale and the scope and the grandeur um, and, and yeah, I, I think, I think moving forward and doing the episode uh, is exactly what he would have wanted to have happen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to do this one in memory of, uh, of Ian Woodington. I want to give you uh, some time here to, to plug a little bit of what you're doing over there for, with 1000 and One by One. And if you want to talk about Below Freezing as well.
2: Sure. Well, just quickly, Below Freezing is a, is a funny podcast I do with my wife. Uh, every movie we do is under 32% on the critical side of Rotten Tomatoes. Um, we've actually record- we've banked a bunch. We've recorded through 50, and um, uh, we're, we're all set. We're good for this season. We'll do some horror stuff in October. Um, but we feel really good about where we ended up with that. A Thousand and One by One is a podcast that I started with my friend Ian, who I've known since I was in high school. We wanted to do a movie podcast, and we didn't know exactly what format we wanted to do, how we wanted to shape it. And uh, we knew we wanted to use the book, um, 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die. And uh, he came up with the title. We came up with the format. And I've been um, slowly re-listening to our episodes uh, from the beginning. And it's really... It's been really fun to sort of hear the, the bits and the things that would become regular through our show, quoting Bosley Crowther and doing the, hey, Ian, <laughs> was this film inducted into the National Film Registry? Because uh, I, 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 I never, we never kept track of when that shit happened. It just became a part of what we did, and going back and listening to it has been great. Um, so we just we take a movie out of the book, and we decide whether or not it should be in there. Since he's left us, um, I... Uh, after after talking uh, and getting, I would say, permission from his, his mom and his wife, we're doing a series of films, uh, episodes on movies that he he adored. Um, and we tried to be coy in the past about what they were, but uh, me wanting everybody in the world to listen to these as much as possible. They are 12 Angry Men. You came on to do Lawrence of Arabia. And then we are going to do The Great Escape, American Graffiti, uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Blade Runner, and With Nail and I. And so those are all coming up and then after that I don't know um I still I'm I'm really on the fence about whether or not I'm going to continue uh that show with that format I don't know um but that's those are all coming up and please 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 uh listen because these are all movies that he adored most of them he adored way more than I did so every every one of those I'm trying my best to you know, give him give him the love and adoration that he would have given it.
0: Yeah, that's that's great. That's awesome. And and you can check out one thousand and one by one. It's the number one thousand and one by and then one the number <laughs> one. Uh, check them out. Like their older episodes. Everything you guys have covered. You have three years' worth of weekly material, so there's a ton of movies you've done. I, I've listened to a whole bunch of them. It's a show I love very much, and I know a bunch of the guys here at Best Picture Cast have listened oh, to it. Oh, it's fantastic, and, yeah. Yeah, and and we've referenced it a bunch of times at, at BPC, too, for all those regular listeners out there. And, uh, yeah, so just check that one out. I had a blast talking Lawrence of Arabia with you because uh, I don't normally go on other podcasts to talk about Best Picture winners just because I don't want to be redundant with it, but that one was an easy choice for me because uh it's one of my favorite movies and if it was Ian's 2 it was an honor to be a part of that as well so uh we, and we had a good we had a good time talking that so I think that episode's as I think it'll probably be out by the time this one airs uh, it will be. be coming soon yeah 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 yeah, cool. Excellent. All right. So before we do the deep dive here with Ben Hur and, and get everything out on the table as far as how we feel about this one, I'm I'm interested to see because we haven't really talked much about this before. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a little bit of a surprise in everybody's takes here. Let's talk about what we're drinking first. Adam, why don't you start off with us here? What, what did you uh, bring to the occasion?
2: So um, I am going local. I, I would have loved to have found a, a Christ-like beer beverage um, uh, <laughs> didn't didn't do that uh, but I I've been on the the hazy IPA kick um, so went local went Seattle went with Red Hook uh, they have a stormy surge hazy IPA with a, uh, an octopus that looks like it's enveloping the can which is just great graphics on nice. beer lately I don't know what the fuck's going on but they're, they're very entertaining to look at as you're drinking them so I I that's what I'm going with Stormy Surge Hazy IPA.
0: Outstanding, outstanding. I think last time you were on, you had a Kraken related beer. I did, so you're going I with all did. these sea monsters. I love it. Octopus yes. this time? I feel like the great Seattle theme.
2: breweries are getting be- pissed at each other and they're just rivaling the, the logos. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: amazing.
0: All right. Well, I uh, to uh, pay homage to our guest here, I went with a Seattle Hazy IPA myself. I uh, got the Elysian Contact Haze, so it is of course from Seattle, the Elysian Brewery. We've had a couple times on here before. It is the Contact Haze, hazy IPA. You can check that out there. It's got kind of a uh, interesting design on there too. It's almost like um, it's that HBO show with Anthony Hopkins and the Westworld. It's almost like a Westworld type of viewing there. But yeah, so the Contact Haze. I'm sure that's one you've had out there before.
1: Yeah. Indeed, I have. Indeed, I have. Grant, Great. what did you bring to the uh, to the equation here? Well, this afternoon, myself, Joey R. from the show, mm-hmm. Oz, his wife, Micola, and our wives all went to this local place in Amityville, a uh, small craft brewing company. I had their, uh, their duck boat, ESB, and uh, I liked it so much that I got a... Um, a mini growler of it, so I'll be drinking that tonight.
0: Outstanding! Yeah. Wonderful. And you have
1: it in your best
0: picture cast Rocky I'm glass. I'm going to show Rocky. that up to
1: oh, yeah to Adam here. There you go.
0: There it is. I,
2: you know, I got it. I've checked out the merch, and I'm looking. I'm definitely considering okay. getting a, a coffee cup because uh, I've officially entered old man dad phase, where all I get gifted <laughs> is socks and mugs. So. You know,
1: I can't. I can't you know, help. But but there's. <laughs> I've. Yeah. I mean, I get. I get coffee mugs too. And it's. You know what's nice about coffee mugs that they always fit. You know, you don't have to worry about it. You just get it, and you're. You're always going to use it. So, might as well.
0: That's great. And you can check out our Best Picture Cast merch store. We'll have a link in the description of this episode. We have pint glasses, coffee mugs, t-shirts, whatever it is. They're all different designs from different Best Picture winners. It's not. Uh, it's not independent to the podcast. So you don't have to walk around. You know wearing something that no one has no idea what it is they, they know what rocky looks like they know what Hannibal Lecter looks like
1: yeah so. our name is very small at it on purpose just to avoid any confusion right absolutely
0: so. uh so gentlemen are we ready to go here ready to deep dive this uh this this one here
2: yes absolutely yes. oil me all up right. and send Let's. me out to the chariot race
0: we <laughs> <laughs> right we're gonna do it here all right the year is 1959 the U.S. president was Dwight Eisenhower comfortably in his second term in the White House. The uh, biggest program of Ike's presidency was his development of the interstate highway system. He passed the Federal-Aid Highway Act of 1956. Unlike the earlier U.S. highway system, these interstates were designed to be in an all-freeway system with nationally unified standards for construction and signage. So You don't really think about how and when those, those highways took place and, and how, we, how if I wanted to drive from New York out to Seattle, how I'd get there. So good old Ike figured it out. <laughs> Now, next, we're going to talk about the 1959 World Series, which could include any number of Major League teams except for one because there is only one oh, team that shut, has never participated shut, in a World Series. shut the fuck up. <laughs> uh, you know what, though? We do, the... we do hold the Major League Baseball record for wins in a season. That is true. That's true. That is true. You know, they, uh, that, that was an Ichiro-powered Seattle Mariner team. That but, yeah, the only team in Major League not to participate in a World Series – uh, they, I think they They were in the Bronx this weekend, the, the, the they are. playing the Yankees, yeah, that same Yankee team that eliminated in the year where they set the record with they, all those... They just, uh, <laughs> they just beat the Yankees
1: 2-0 today.
0: They did, avoided yeah. the, sweep. Avoid the sweep. I am not a Yankee fan, Adam, so don't worry. It's uh, Oh,
1: I,
2: I uh, am a fair-weather
0: Mariners fan, so please rag on them as much as you like. <laughs> <do. laughs> <laughs> okay, well, neither the Yankees nor the Mariners were in the 1959 World Series, it was between the L.A. Dodgers, and they defeated the Chicago White Sox four games to two. This was the first World Series championship for the Dodgers since moving to L.A., and the first championship for any West Coast team. So they are representing the West Coast there this year. First time the West Coast-Tacoma World Series championship. Uh, game 5's attendance of 92,706 continues to be a World Series record for attendance in a single game. It's a record that many consider unbreakable. For the White Sox, this was their first AL pennant since the infamous Black Sox scandal of 1919. And they'd wait another 46 years for their next pennant in 2005. Where they'd finally bring home the crown. And that was discussed in our Crash episode, Graham, which was your very first Best Picture Cast it was. episode.
1: It all ties together.
0: And a movie that you defend, Adam, right? It's...
2: I uh, I do i i i do defend that movie um I'm not gonna sit here and say that it's going to solve all of societal's problems uh but i do <laughs> I do think it works as uh a thrilling drama i think the care- i think i think everybody in it is doing really well except for uh Sandra Bullock when she happens to fall down a flight of stairs but besides that um I'm really on board with everybody's performance in that movie, especially Michael Pena, who is like top is yes.
1: oh, yeah he was, our, he was our, both of our favorite part of the movie. Yeah, sure. agreed. And, and I'll admit, we were a little tough on that one. We um, were. I, I mean, I came out hot. This is my first episode. I feel like I had to make a name for myself. That's, that's right. So that's, that, was, swinging. that was the sacrificial lamb
0: there. <laughs> um, before we move on to the number one song, just a couple other notable facts of the World Series as it was a historical one. It was the first World Series where neither team featured a pitcher to throw a complete game. And, it, and we talked about New York not being in it. It was the only World Series played from 1949 to 1964 where no teams were from New York City. So the Giants, the Brooklyn Dodgers, and the Yankees all kind of dominated. So that's 49 to 64. So it's almost, I mean, it's 15 years. Yeah. Wow. The number one song of the year in 1959. Everyone was snapping their fingers to The Battle of New Orleans by Johnny Horton. Can't say I'm too familiar with that one. Other notable number one hits that year include Mack the Knife by Bobby oh, Darin. Of course, I know geez. that one. Yeah, I know that one. Yeah. Yes. And Put Your Head on My Shoulder by the great Paul Anka. That's great. People were also listening to Richie Valens, Frankie Avalon, the Fleetwoods, and the Everly Brothers. So it was a lot of smooth sounds back then. A in lot the, of great music the back then, really is. For sure. Yeah. The movie we're discussing here today was the Best Picture winner of 1959, and that was Ben-Hur. It was directed by William Wyler. It was produced by Sam Zibellis and MGM Studios. The adapted screenplay was by Carl Thunberg. And that was an adapted from a novel by Lou Wallace entitled A Tale of the Christ. Music was by Miklos Rosa, who we discussed in our Lost Weekend episode. Uh, cinematography was by Robert Surtees, who we discussed in our Sting episode. He also uh, photographed the brilliant The Graduate. Have you seen The Graduate? I have not seen The Graduate, yeah. Adam, have you seen The, the Graduate there? Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is. It, uh, that is one of those Best Picture-nominated years where pretty much all of those movies nominated are, are worth your time. Uh, it's, it's a good movie.
0: Yeah, and yeah. I, I always continue to maintain, I think it's one of the best photographed, non-scenic, epic movies, you know, where it's just... It's just people in a, in a small town, and, and the use of camera there is brilliant by uh, Robert Surtees in that one. Uh, also, the film editing in Ben-Hur by John Dunning and Ralph Winners. The movie is starring Charlton Heston, Jack Hawkins, Stephen Boyd, Haya Harit, Martha Scott, Kathy O'Donnell, and Hugh Griffith. It was nominated for 12 Oscars. It was the winner of 11, which was a record... At the time, those include Best Picture, Best Director, William Wyler, Best Actor, Charlton Heston, Best Supporting Actor, Hugh Griffith, Best Cinematography, Robert Surtees, Best Art, Set Direction, Best Costume Design, Best Film Editing, Best Sound, Best Special Effects, and Best Score, Migos Rosa. The only one it did not win was Adapted Screenplay, Lou Wallace. So it was 11 of 12. Quite the bell of the ball in 1959 for sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, and I, you know, I don't, maybe those will happen towards the end of that. There are quite a few of those I don't think it deserves to win. There's a, there's a question I wanted to ask, and I, I don't know if this is the right time or not, but it's, it's so obviously it's, it's 11 wins uh, along with Titanic and uh, Return of the King stand as as records. Those three films hold the records for most Academy Award wins. My question for the both of you is, those three films have that record. And then there's It Happened One Night, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and The Silence of the Lambs, which are the three winners of the big five, picture, director, actor, actress, and screenplay. And especially on this rewatch of of Ben-Hur, I'm realizing that I would rather be a winner of the big five than a winner of 11 Academy Awards. Um, because those movies are so heavy on spectacle, but I think all of those movies, and yes, I realize that Lord of the Rings is adapted from a much beloved J.R.R. Tolkien novel, but I would so much rather be a better story than a bigger spectacle.
1: Well, uh, yeah. Yeah, um, 100%. I, I prefer more personal movies for the most part, and I, I feel like when a small scale movie wins the big five. I feel like that's way more impressive because you have, you have a movie like Ben-Hur and it's almost like the costume design and the set des- and the set design, all of this stuff are kind of rolled into one big ball where you can't have one without the other. They all kind of feed into each other. So I, I feel like you'd one for the acting and the directing and, and everything. I, I feel like that's just, that's more impressive. Yeah. I, I will say, you know, if I, if
0: I look at it this way, A a closer comparison would probably be to the other two that won 11, and you you mentioned The Lord of the Rings there, uh, Adam, but the other one would be Titanic. So when you have those bigger scale movies... You do. You're gonna get visual like it happened when I, it's not winning visual effects. Out of visual effects, I don't think was it was an award at that time. Right. But even like a Silence of the Lambs isn't gonna even be considered for something like visual effects. So sure. I, I I'm gonna kind of answer it both ways, and I like I tend to like both. It just depends on what I'm in the mood for. I do like the big, grand scoping films if the story is done right and told properly. Where I, I think it is in a movie like Lawrence of Arabia, uh, I happen to like a lot of things that this movie did as well. I love Titanic. You know movies like Lord of the Rings are not my favorite, but that's, you know, that that might have to do a little bit to more to do with the genre. I also love the the smaller scale ones. I love Kramer versus Kramer. I think that's a great Best Picture winner. I love uh, Million Dollar Baby. I love It Happened mm-hmm. One Night. I love all, I love all those those smaller scale ones too. So I think it's just a matter of what I'm in the mood for. But I I do think that these types of movies do tend to be to be a little bit magnetic when it comes to collecting those those trophies, except for Troy. <laughs> except-
2: that yeah i don't know it's tough because i have such uh i come from such an acting and theatrical background that i appreciate the the acting and the performances more than i do the spectacle i, I always have and sure so you know in a year where you know something like one floor over the cuckoo's nest can beat jaws i i will step back and go fuck yeah awesome that's that, that's great um <laughs> and uh there and there were some 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 worthy films up this year that obviously I don't think I don't think would have stood a chance at at beating it. But I I think I just always appreciate the story and, and acting more. And and as we go as we go through it, I, I'll I have thoughts on on performances and storytelling choices so I'll, I'll i'll you know i'll save those thoughts as they come up
0: cool yeah and, and we'll say that jaws is grant's number one movie of all time so it shots is. are fired early here in this
1: <laughs> in this one um I, I can i can at least stomach a uh, cuckoo's nest victory over over jaws i will say that cuckoo's, cuckoo's nest is great and it does deserve it but Josh sure, should have won that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the
0: best Best Picture lineup, I would say. But, That's a solid one, yeah. yeah. I, I do want to say, too, though, because last week we covered 12 Years a Slave, and mm-hmm. we talked about how tight that was with Gravity, and we said that it, in all likelihood that could have been the closest Best Picture race that there's ever been, because just in, in the in the sense that, or at least in modern times, in the sense that it was the only one to tie for the Producers Guild Awards, so you had to think that there was some, some inter- industry split there. I think this week might have been the biggest blowout in the, in the history of the Oscars, just based on how many that they decided to give this, whether you think it's deserving or not. But I just – when you look – we'll go through the other nominees later on. And there were two very significant stubs from that list that we'll talk about. I'll just throw them out there and okay. Some Like It Hot. and. North yeah. by Northwest, which both 1000% should have been in this Best Picture lineup. And had they been, then you know, maybe you look at it and say maybe the gap would have been closer. But I think just based on all the awards that this thing won and the other movies that were up, I think this might've been the biggest blowout or one of the biggest blowouts in Oscar history. So to, opening thoughts on this one. I mean, Adam, you've shown your, your card a little bit here. Grant, I want to kind of hear what, what your initial thoughts were here on this one.
1: Well, um, I was not expecting to like the movie as much as I did. Um, I thought it was going to be a a really dry kind of crawl through this this period piece movie, but I I, I liked it I liked it um, more than I expected. I didn't love it. Um, I think there are issues with it, but I really was blown away by the the scale of everything. I know I just talked about how I prefer smaller movies <laughs> and more intimate movies, but. I I really the uh the undertaking of this of this whole movie was very impressive to me.
2: I one of my earliest notes was that I cannot um deny how grand and, and amazing the sets, the mm-hmm. costumes, the scores, everything that went into the production of this film is all top notch. And yeah, you can read about how at the time this was the biggest budgeted movie uh that had ever been produced um and you can see it on the screen. There there is a particular moment which we won't get to yet, but that is Uh, I I don't think can ever be redone the way that the way that Hollywood has so readily embraced uh, CG, the particular sequence towards the end of the film um, is astounding and and will stand the test of time forever. I just, I think ultimately again, trying to be vague before we hop into it. I think there are storytelling choices that um, aren't, they're not redundant. They just don't make a lot of sense. And uh, I would have loved to have seen almost anybody else who was initially recommended for the role of Judah Ben-Hur other than Charlton Heston.
0: Yeah, yeah. okay. Well, so, you know, with with... Best Picture cast, you know whether whether this we really stake this or not. It's just maybe it's more of a behind the scenes code. So we try to we try to avoid politics and religion as much as we possibly can. We really try to stay neutral to everything so it can remain successful to everyone. And here we have a movie starring Charlton Heston and Jesus. Da 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 da. You know, <laughs> so we're 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 gonna probably bump into those topics a bit. Yeah, not can. you well, know we're gonna it, avoid them, but you know.
2: And, and I want to. I would love to just state for the record now that my issues with Charlton Heston are not his affiliations with the NRA. They're not his his political views at all. I don't think he's good in this movie. That is my concern. <laughs> yeah. Like, and when you look at there's, and I won't say, it, if you look at the people who were initially approached to play this role, MGM did not try hard enough. There, there were two people in particular who I think. Should I, I I this movie is infinitely better had one of those two taken the role of Judah Ben Hur.
0: Yeah, and you know, I, I gotta say, uh with with this one, I I like I like Charlton Hessen's performance for what it is. I think he looks the part. I think he's you know, he's a he's a a physically stunning actor. That being said, I and I said this to granite as I was going in. I don't know why I didn't think or didn't know that he won best actor for this. I just, it kind of like didn't even register to me. I should, of course I should have won 11 awards. Yeah. It's Charlton Heston. it's Ben Hur. I don't know. I should have just assumed that he won, but nothing about it struck me as a best acting
1: winning performance. No, it's, I, it's fine. Yeah. It kind of does exactly what it needs to do, but it, it was not a. It's not a performance that you know just commands attention and commands admiration. Once it's once it started up, because this this was my true
0: second viewing. I saw it again ten plus years ago. So there were a lot of parts of this long movie that I did not remember at all.
1: That's where they didn't re- remember three and a half hours of a movie <laughs> altogether. <laughs> yeah.
0: right. But um, I, I, you know, I will say once he started talking, I just couldn't separate the Phil Hartman impression yeah. from uh, from SNL and from The Simpsons, like the uh, oh, the good. damn dirty ape get your hands off me you damn dirty apes like I just, I just, it just became are. a character the
2: king of kings
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah just um it, it it is it is something it is something for sure and i don't you know like i said i don't mind him in this a lot of those other recasts i mean you you alluded to them i know uh Kurt, Kurt douglas was one of them paul newman i don't know if there were some other ones that you saw
1: Yeah. Uh,
2: so I saw that the uh, initial group of people approached to play the role—the uh, the two that you just said, also Burt Lancaster, Marlon Brando, Rock Hudson—and funnily enough, Leslie Nielsen was also approached to play this role. All before, wow. all before uh, they went to Charlton Heston.
1: That's that's wow. a lot to that's a lot to go through before settling on Charlton Heston. I went like. How did it go wrong for every one of those, yeah. those? actors.
2: The only one I know specifically because I looked into it the most because again, I, I Paul Newman's the one I, I just Another World I hoped would have done this. He had done he had done another sword and sandals movies years years before, uh, whose name is is outside of my my purview because it's not a movie that I think anybody would remember if they heard the name of it, um, which is just a bummer right. that he chose not to do this one because I think Paul Newman in this role is I mean in an already stellar career that he has uh i think that's that's one of his mount rushmore performances if he's doing it
1: that'd be amazing yeah be, to be in that alternate universe where that went, where that worked out that would be great yeah and it,
0: it would be super interesting on how that would alter paul Newman's career too because he kind of he kind of became the guy who got who got awarded cuz he clearly would have won I think even with a serviceable yeah. performance, he would have won just based on all well, the other well, awards. Well, I mean, that... Huston
1: won with a serviceable
0: performance. Yeah, so. yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. so uh, it would have been interesting to see how his career was altered, where he kind of got the, the Toss Me Award with with Color of Money, which I love. I love yeah. Color of Money. And, now, yeah. I'm
1: just picturing now Charlton Heston slap Slapshot. <laughs> <laughs> like everything just like flips on its head. Yeah. Right. Get your hands off me, you damn dirty goon. <laughs> you damn dirty defenseman.
0: <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, I, Heston's probably a good place to start. Let's let's just talk about – I just want to – this whole first hour as a whole, yeah. which I, I was largely my least favorite part of, of the whole movie. I think once we got to like the ships and him being enslaved, that's when the movie started picking up and I started digging what was going on. Starting with the nativity scene, you know, fine, okay, if that's what you want to do and, and – uh, it was just a
1: little bit much, a little a little lengthy. Yeah, I mean, when this when that started, when Joseph was walking past the the security checkpoint with Mary on on the donkey, and um, and then like they see the three wise men, and then the, the manger and all that, I'm like, oh, all right, so it's going to be really Jesus centric on this, and I, I'm surprised. I'm actually surprised it kind of. They had, they had a few illusions here and there then, but they kind of backed off on it
0: well, this is a good point for me to or maybe we'll just address this here and okay. maybe i will ask ask this question because i'll I'll pose this to you two guys and then i'll I'll give you my my reaction to it. Did you think that this movie was too religious centric for you to particularly enjoy it or for you to recommend it here's my Adam, I'll start with you
2: my immediate response to that because i I knew this was going to come up, and uh i I am not I'm not religious. I'm not against anybody who is religious. My my wife grew up Catholic for a very very long time, um, but I got to the end of the movie, at, uh, and you know where where Jesus is talking, and and uh, Ben Hur realizes who this guy was. It was the guy who gave him water when he was in the desert. And the the note I had at that moment was: Would I be having a more emotional reaction to this movie if I was religious? Because for me. It's kind of a swing and a miss, but, but, and again, I don't know if it's because of it's it, because it's the religion or because it's, it's this really long parable. I, I, I as some, again, I, this is the weirdest, but I think there was too much Jesus in the movie because it's not a story about Jesus. And like, I, there's, yeah. there was a moment I was so confused early on because it's been a while since I've seen it where Jesus is born. He is that moment has happened, and then the name of the movie, Ben Hur, comes up, and it's like, wait, what? Yeah. How is the movie not called yeah, they, Jesus
1: Christ? <laughs> like well, he, he's born, and then it fast-forwards 26 years. Yeah, right. So it right. shows no origins at all of, of Ben Hur's character or anything like and that. There's, like, there's interesting, you enter this movie through like a
0: very, very long hall. You know, you have, you have the, the, the intro music. Yeah, in, in the that. start where you where you know I mean to, whether you like that or you don't, Grant, I know you do not like that. I can, I, mean, tell, right. I,
1: I can almost understand it in a musical, but like to have the inter but to have the intro music and to have the on track after the intermission, because those, those the purposes of those are to introduce okay everyone in this act here's what here's what music's coming up, but you don't need that in. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, a, I mean, in a you biblical,
1: know, uh, you know, epic.
0: I think it works great in Lawrence Arabia. Uh, in this one, you know, we'll talk about the score in further length because I have some, I have some issues with the score in general. But you you get that long that long intro, yeah. okay. Then the MGM logo comes up, so it's like, oh, okay, all right. Well, you get the lion. The lion's not roaring in this one. I don't. They're just making some it's kind a of statement a sedated there. lion. Yeah, yeah, sedated lion. And then you get a couple of a, a couple of intro cards there. Then we go to the nativity scene, and then, as you said, after that, then you get the Ben the Ben Hur title card. So it's just kind of this like very meandering way to start this movie. Very, very yeah. theatrical. very very theatrical.
1: Extremely, yeah.
0: Getting back to the to the religious end of things, yeah. um,
1: Grant. Grant, how about for you? Did you? I mean, I um, listen like you. I went to Catholic school for thirteen years, from kindergarten all the way through high school. Mm-hmm. Um, it Muzzle didn't do look good for me <laughs> <laughs> it didn't really stick um i'll say but um so it's it's not something i'm not a religious person um i do appreciate um jesus as um almost as a character and like this his story as a like a parable or a, not not a not a not a historical documentation um so i, I do appreciate the story of jesus so I wasn't it didn't turn me off all the um the interweavings with him and 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 Christ with him like Jesus giving him the water. And I, I guess it it ties into it at the end a little bit, but it's it does seem like it's in the 1950s when America's very puritanical, it kind of almost felt like a, a guarantee that that's how it was going to go, very pro pro Christianity kind of angle to it and um I don't know if that's just my 2021 cynicism coming through. But, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't enough to turn me off, and it wouldn't be enough for me to not recommend it to anybody.
0: Yeah. Okay, so I said, to, to kick this whole thing off, we usually avoid religion and politics as much as we can. And yeah. I am Catholic, and, and not that that is either here nor there or has anything to do. with it. so It's just interesting to me someone who isn't at all, how, how they look at it. Or I watched the movie, and I, I really thought that they leaned more on the, the historical biblical sense of it yeah. And less less of the of the pushing the actual take of the religion. And then, you know, when reading about it is William Wyler's Jewish. You know, so the director is is Jewish putting this story out there. And he said that he wanted to do a story that most religions could tie themselves to. And I feel like they kind of accomplished that in this. I, I don't fault anyone for not wanting to to jive with it because it is – I mean, what – what, how that's accessible in the, in the 50s is different to how it is today. Sure. And a lot of the reasons we don't talk about religion here is because it's a divisive <laughs> thing that kind of turns people away from conversation. And That's not what we want to do. We want to bring people together here yeah. with, with these discussions. So I, it didn't distract my viewing. I was interested to hear if it distracted your guys. And I'd be in, interested in, even further to hearing what the other BPC guys say when they, when they see it or, or anyone listening yeah. at home.
1: I'm very curious to see what Artie thinks about it.
0: Yeah, it's specifically it's, yeah. It's it's interesting, but you know we'll kind of leave that there. I, I did yeah. I did like the choice of not showing Jesus's face in it. Um, I don't know. I thought it was an interesting artistic choice there.
1: Yeah, I, I wonder if they just it's it's one of those things where you don't know. Like when you have a movie like when you have chiseled jaw Charlton Heston playing Ben Hur, like who would possibly play Jesus, too? Kind of thing like who would be this this God basically on you know on Earth? Like who would who would portray him opposite? Charlton Heston. Right. You know, right. But um, I, I, yeah, so, but I, I do agree with the choice of it. Um, them kind of just leaving that kind of the, to the imagination. What
0: did, what did you make of that, of that choice? Adam?
2: I think that it leads into kind of what you were mentioning about how Weiler wanted to have this be in a way accessible to all religions. If you don't show his face, you're not dictating kind of who he is. You leave him more open to the viewer, yeah. right? And that it's not yep. necessarily about Jesus Christ. It's about somebody who's willing to take on all of this punishment for, essentially, you know, to, for everybody else, you know, to, for the sins of the father, yep. for the sins of everybody. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that was, and probably the, the best choice too, again, because this isn't as much as, uh, General Lou Wallace put the the tale of the Christ in the story of, in the title of his book. This is not really a story about Jesus. This is a story about a fictional guy named Judah Ben Hur. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I also liked how we saw it from the Roman perspective often, and not even in a villainous way. Just literally from Ah, there's a guy out in the desert doing magic tricks. You know, <laughs> I don't know what's going on out there with that. But it was just it was. It was interesting to see it told from that perspective, and not in this just like shit heel way, also where it was kind of like,
1: oh, like we have to address this situation going on here. Like, what? what, what No, you. It's um, they did a good they did a good job of showing the perspective of the Romans and kind of showing you at least how they think, so you can buy in a little bit. Yeah this this whole first
0: hour, guys. I mean, I don't know it. I I was very very nervous at about the sixty minute mark because it was not. I was having a hard time. I was having a really hard time. It, it wasn't until they got to the to the ship, or even, or maybe when they when when uh, when Judah Ben Hur's got the got the handcuffs and they're marching them through the desert. That's that's kind of where I started to pick up again.
2: Okay, so um, I I mostly agree with you, except for you know watching this not not just through twenty twenty one eyes, but also just as a as an actor but but more specifically as a theater actor, the two things that I found really interesting were kind of tying back to what you were saying about the the roman stuff and also uh, I, I mean i don't want to make this movie even more complicated in terms of the things that you don't want to talk about, but how gay is this movie? How gay is this Incredibly. movie <laughs> i i mean it's um it, and, and here's the thing. I, I seriously, <laughs> and I, I'm not trying to play this card. I, I but I know I, there are so many gay people in my life, so many gay people that I am close to, and if I feel like if I had watched this with them, they would have been like, "This is an underutilized part of the story." The and, and this will come into play later, like way later in the show. But everything between Masala and Judah, I actually like. I was riveted yeah. by. Their their first scenes together and the shit they weren't saying. I was I gotta tell you I leaned. Up. It was the first time in the movie I leaned forward and was like, "Give me this, give me this relationship. I want to see more of this."
1: <laughs> I, I I looked I looked into that a little bit because I, I noticed those undertones also. Um, they couldn't because of the coat They couldn't play into it, but apparently in the book, it's much more overt. And when I, when I watched it again this morning, when they when they do their forearm handshake. Um Masala gives him a little rub with, with his thumb. I noticed that. And then when they do the cheers and they drink like sorority girls where they where they tuck their <laughs> arms in with each other. I was, my three-year-old was watching it with me. And she said these words verbatim. They are in love. Wow. There you go. I'm like, you know what? You nailed it. And if my now, three-year-old did you, can catch it.
2: <laughs> did you – did you read the thing that Gore Vidal said? Did you Did you see the thing about Gore Vidal and um, No? Char- okay, so uh, Gore Vidal was an uncredited writer on the script, and apparently years later he came out and said that. Um, Part of what he thought didn't work about the relationship was that he didn't believe th- that Masala would get so upset with Judah so quickly. So, apparently, in Gore Vidal's words, he talked the Weiler and Boyd and and discussed the idea of Masala and Judah having a homosexual encounter at some point in their lives. So, Masala's playing it that way. This, again, this is according to Gore Vidal. Yeah, Stephen Boyd is actively playing that. So, the thumb rub that you noticed, active choice. Yeah. Years later, Gore Vidal it. says this story, and Charlton Heston comes out and is like, "We never played it this way." That's he didn't say that's bullshit, but <laughs> essentially, it's like that's bullshit. Don't say that. And Gore Vidal was like, "Do whatever you want to, man, but you know, I, I, you'll believe what you believe. I'll believe what I believe." But like, and this was a this was a back and forth they had through letters in the L.A. Times, which is just amazing that this happened. Um, that's and, amazing. Uh, I just I, found I found that relationship so interesting i i won't even lie guys. I was just yeah. riveted by it
1: i I would have loved it if they played into it more i would have i because uh like Kieran said you said the first hour was was really hard to get through i that was i think the first hour was my was my favorite little part was my favorite part of the movie wow cool i i thought it was i thought it was <laughs> i thought it was really good and i and the the relationship of of masala and and uh judah and then that ultimately deteriorating I thought that was interesting
0: yeah and and I I gotta say Stephen Boyd's performance is outstanding in this mm-hmm. um, his his death scene is like all time I thought and and that is like such a such a movie cliche is the dying words you know and and how many times have we seen it whether it's you know whether it's in a, in a a classic black and white movie or a South Park episode is there's always the the the, uh, 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 the last <laughs> things where they say and boy he just He just absolutely crushes it in that scene. I remember being like, oh, jeez. Stephen Boyd is is just is just killer in this and yeah I don't know what it was is that I just wasn't I, it, the first hour was tough for me so I love I love hearing that you guys uh, that you guys were brought in by that that that's great the escape from from being held you know with the yeah. he's holding he's, he's
1: running around with the,
0: yeah that <laughs> yeah. seemed to so like like it was Charlton Heston's idea at that
2: point I thought I go I think this is why the Romans are no longer in control <laughs>
0: <laughs> the rope and the stick just doesn't cut it if you kill me they're gonna die right now don't do it don't do it. <laughs> Ah, damn it! He's got me. <laughs> um, and uh, I did. I did like the the spear throwing contest. It brought me back to Roadhouse, where uh, Ben Gazzara got to ch- got to chuck the spear at uh...
1: where it's like obviously <laughs> attached to a string or right. a rail it's and just rocketing just, through yeah, the room, Pulled through. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's good stuff. Anything in that other first hour you guys want to bring up before we we zoom to?
2: I got one thing. There were a couple of lines, and again, I I just it's so again it's 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 one thing to appreciate this movie for what it was in 1959, but watching it now, there were a couple of lines where. Uh, Masala says it's going to be like old times um, in terms of, of, of how they were when they were um, together in the same scene he, he says to, to Judah you are a conquered people and then he, he says that you are either for me or against me and I couldn't I, I mean and again I, oh, you said not get political um, it was just really interesting to hear uh, a white guy say that back in 1959 and think about gee those are all sentiments that sound very familiar. And um I don't know, it's <laughs> it's, it's it's you know a, a movie from 1959 set in, you know, what? 26 AD. Um that really it's the the group that's in charge really doesn't want shit to change. And um I, I got I just thought that was a really fascinating comparison as to where we are now and and what this movie was saying even back then.
0: Yeah, and it's funny too is that we're doing back to back episodes where it's I wouldn't say that Ben Hur is centered around slavery, but there are slaves sure. sprinkled across this you yeah. know th- this movie, and then obviously you know um, you can't help but think of the Ten Commandments too because that's another Charlton Heston Captain thing. Uh, it it's just. This, these past couple weeks of doing the, the intensity of, of 12 Years a Slave and, and leading it into, into this, it just really gives you a lot of perspective on over the, over the centuries, how people just had a hard time figuring out just letting people just do their own thing.
1: <laughs> you know? Yeah, and just the, um, how people just value the oppression of others. And I guess that is just a, a sentiment as all this humanity itself.
0: I, I want to go to the uh, to the scene where he's he's now off in, in shackles. But I, I, I do got to say though too, like, what an asshole Masala is here with the you know he's he's got he's, he's got his buddy that he that he knows from from childhood here or, or whatever it is, and he's so happy to see the mom and the sister. Oh, and like yes. the sister used to have a crush on him apparently, and that you know this is that and he just hauls them off to the to and the he, ju- you know
1: like and he, and he knows they're innocent.
0: Yeah, it's like I get, the, yeah. I get the yeah, he does the he does the little uh, investigation on and top the thing, of the tiles or so the, yeah, yeah. The, the tiles falling off. And, and it's funny how the, the events of this movie just all just they all just get pushed into this giant epic where it's really just someone's elbow bumped a couple rocks and it landed on some <laughs> dickhead's head.
2: <laughs> but that's that's what that's what makes him such a great character is that he's not a villain for villain's sake, right? That he's the the calculated nature of of doing that of for not, mm-hmm. f- not framing maybe is the right word I don't know but essentially condemning these people he knows are innocent to go to go basically to the dungeons to, to jail um it, it makes him a believable shithead like it's so easy to just be yeah. like a villain who's like you know I'm gonna put him to jail yeah. but it doesn't it, that's not how it goes in this it's very much like a it's a calculated move he's trying to move up the ranks and yeah. It's it's believable, it's viable, and it's sinister in a way that we believe, which I think makes it all the better.
1: He knows that condemning his best friend and his best friend's family, you know, to the galley or or whatever, he knows that would create this fear. Everyone would fear him then, and yeah, everything you everything he has, there's a purpose to the shitty things he does, and um, I appreciate that more than like you said, Adam, just some mustache twirling. Uh, villain. So I, I I like I like I like a villain that has a purpose or at least a purpose that they they see and that they want to they have they have something that they want to achieve and they are ruthless about it.
0: So when when Hessen's now shackled off and he's you know falls and and JC going to give him the the water there. Um I I love I love how the the Roman like like chests up. To Jesus, oh yeah, you know, like he's gonna do something, and Jesus gives him the old like, "These aren't the droids you're looking for," <laughs> you know. Waves over with the old Obi Wan, and the guy just goes, "Eh, I, you know what? I'm not gonna pick this fight today. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm on. I'm an hourly worker here. Uh, fist fight with Jesus? Maybe not. Maybe not today.
1: I don't. I don't know if it was that, or if it was more. He knows who Jesus is, and he knows that if he strikes Jesus or arrests or you know does. Whatever he knows that there's a massive shitstorm coming, and he'd rather not be the one to like that powder cake. Yeah, well, that's, that's interesting. I
2: that I that's 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 interesting because I my uh, opinion of that was that he didn't he didn't know who this guy was, but there was something not quite not quite Obi Wan level, but but there was something about <laughs> yeah. his there was something about his presence, his demeanor, the way that you know that, that this this kind of random Roman guard is coming hot at Jesus, and Jesus' reaction is just to stand up and look at him. And like to be yeah. in awe of this person, unafraid of your physical threats, right? And and there was something about that. I think, I don't know. That's interesting. I oh, think it's somewhere maybe between those two, but but I don't know. I don't know.
0: Maybe. Yeah, I, I like both those takes. I like I like the ambiguity there too. I kind of took it a little closer to the way that Adam took it, but I like that take too, Grant. Because I just that's, I, that's, I was a little uncertain as to how much of a known entity Jesus was well, at was, this juncture. He was twenty six at the time. I'm trying to think of this is a little before he's doing the sermons and stuff because the well, sermons that well, was like oh,
1: that was that was like he was like 33 yeah
0: that's like, like five that, years yeah. later I think uh, I think um, uh, when ben- hers on the when, ships for five Hed, years when yes, he comes no, back it was,
1: he's in he's in the middle he's, he's in Hedden, he's on the Hedden ship Hedden for three, back. three he's on the ship for
2: three years three years on ships before the one he's right. on got it oh,
1: okay and then, and okay. then he races then he races in Rome for a couple of years too yes I think it's five I think that I think the the, the two women are in prison for five yeah. years. I think that's when, what it was. Yeah, when Heston comes back, he's in the throes of Beatlemania, right. basically. So, <laughs> right. um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess you can look at it, you can either look at it like a more practical way or a more mystical way. Yeah. That's, and, and, and however you interpret it is, is up to you.
0: Yeah, now, you, you know, you guys kind of both weren't, it seems like neither of you were too um, in love with, with the, the bookend storytelling of the, of the serving the water, you know, I I kind of no, really liked, I liked it. I like that. Yeah, yeah, Adam, you, you were le- you were less enthralled by it.
1: No, I'm
2: I'm okay I'm okay with it. And again, I think the fact that it comes full circle is just good storytelling. My issue isn't that mm-hmm. Jesus gives him water. My my issue is in in a movie that's called Ben Hur how much of this movie is actually about Jesus Christ. And it's not that you can't have him in the movie at all. I'm not I'm not trying to say cut him from the movie. It just the opening of the movie would make one if if the if the title of the movie didn't pop up as Ben Hur, I would think that we're basically yeah. going to see a story about the, the life and death of
0: Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that the I would say my biggest issues are, are going to be the too much nativity in the yeah. beginning. Yeah. It was just a little too much to start the movie. That could have been cut down. That could have been a little more just show us flashes of it, let us know what's going on, and then we move we move in time I don't know exactly how you do it, but and then I, I thought maybe a little too visual with the crucifixion at the end too. I thought that could have been a little a little less
1: a little less show, a little more tell the yeah I mean well, I guess we'll get to that, but um, when I watched this movie the first time around, I was like, "The chariot scene, cool. Like, that's such a great climactic moment." And um, you know, then he dies. But then <laughs> there was so much more left that could have been easily condensed. Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, and it, it was, was. It was. It was such for for like a three and a half hour movie. That last that last bit, I don't even know how long, I don't know how long it was. Was it a half hour? Maybe was it even less than that. But it really, it really could have been cleaned up.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like when you're getting home from the road trip, and you, you make it past the bridges, and you're like, oh, God, I got over and the bridge. And then bumper the LEs the just backed yeah. up. But, yeah, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're like, oh, great, I'm just going to tack on an extra two hours to yeah. this because of, because of midday summer construction. Sorry, we're doing a little tri-state uh, traffic bit there, Adam. <laughs> hey, no, New no York worries, no bit. worries.
2: <laughs> Again, the the one part of New York I've been to seems to be your guys's neck of the woods. So I that fantastic. Talk talk away.
0: There we go. Yeah. So I I dug the the feeding the water, but the and then flipping flipping scripts and, and bookending that storytelling. I I I kind of like that. Um, I wanna I wanna talk about the 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 ship scenes now. Okay. Uh, which I think maybe you know, obviously the chariot races is, is something that you know is, is it that's a top that's a top sequence in movie history i'm not taking anything away from that but i think my favorite scenes in this movie are the scenes on the ship and the scenes with jack hawkins who i've just Fucking grown jack to love hawkins. more and more every time i see him he's a legend is an absolute <laughs> legend we just talked about him in the in the lawrence arabia for over and one by one uh we're gonna see him again he's plays a huge role in bridge on the river Kwai, okay. uh which was a, a major influence for this movie believe it or not. Uh, Weiler saw Bridge in the River Kwai and wanted to kind of do something in, in light of it. And he even asked David Lean to direct the chariot scene. And he was going to be specifically credited as, you know, chariot scene sequence directed by David Lean oh, in, wow. the, in the sequence, kind of yeah, in, in its own credit thing. Similar to what we saw in American in Paris where that ballet sequence had its own, or, uh, had its own credit. For all seasons. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, But after reading that, because I kind of do all my research, I watch the movie, then do the research, then watch it, then watch it again. Uh, So I definitely got a lot of a lot of lean like vibes in this one. And it's funny that three years later is going to be Lawrence Arabia. And that's where David Lane's just like, all right, hold my beer. I'm going to do this a million times better now. And and, um, I couldn't believe that Lawrence Arabia is only three years after this. Because it's like, well, as as visually impress- impressive as Ben Hur can be at times, it still kind of looks of its time a little bit. And to think that Lawrence of Arabia is going to just be three years later. Because I think Lawrence of Arabia, if if this movie's a million bucks, Lawrence of Arabia is a billion bucks as far as as far as what it looks like.
2: Well, I think a, a key part of that is the fact that Ben Hur is on sets, and Lawrence of Arabia is shot on location, and. As yeah. as a ama- may and and uh, shit, don't get me wrong. As amazing as the sets are for Ben Hur, they're mm-hmm. sets—they're not the fucking desert, yeah. you know. It's it's the visually what you're going to see. And granted, yes, I think the 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 work that Freddie Young does on on Lawrence of Arabia is is next level. The cinematography in Ben Hur is it's fine it's it's great it's it's you know whatever the however they dubbed it back then and lush panavision technicolor or you know whatever the hell they said um <laughs> but
0: i think that's but i think that goes to it is is it's it's a wonderful set yeah and and so it was filmed in it was filmed in rome right was, but on set sets in rome i believe in, yeah
2: or studios or different spots in italy i think i think cinicetta are the yeah. the biggest the biggest um, studio over there.
0: Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. But th- but those uh, th- uh, those scenes on the ships, man. Um, and you know, we, Jack Hawkins' role in this as as Quintus Arius, he comes in hot, and I'm like, oh, we got another mega heel coming in here. And he's you know he's he's not a nice guy as we first see him. You know, he's he's, he's bullying up on the slaves and, yeah. and doing what not there but uh the 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 relationship the kind of way that relationship grows between
1: him and number 41 <laughs> is uh is is a lot of fun yeah that um that one scene where he's he's having to go faster and faster and faster is uh, a really incredible scene and it it does it does great storytelling too with the dynamic of of Ben-Hur and his his drive to be rid of this this life and back back home in, in uh, Judea to get, get his revenge.
2: Although one of my least favorite lines, and there's a handful of them in this movie, uh, which is when 41 is, is unlocked before, uh, ultimately, what is that big sort of um, battle between the two ships? And the, somebody asks him, why did they do that? Yeah. And Charles Heson's like, I don't know. Once before a man helped me. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah we know. We saw it. We, we, we saw that happen when he gave you water in the desert. We're watching the movie. <laughs> we can, we, it wasn't too long ago in the film. We, we remember that. That's like and the, the, had, and the, had,
1: same thing happened to me some years back. <laughs> it's like, oh, really? Was that in the desert with the man giving you water?
0: <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. I, I alluded to the score a little bit. And the score is grandiose and, and triumphant and majestic and all sorts of other big things royal words we could use and and there's lots of trumpets and lots of brass and lots of to every all the brass tubas french horns trumpets trombones bring them all in there and it it is for the most part a great score there are moments where the score does not know when to get out of the way though and it's just it's just it is so intrusive and i feel like this like it makes this probably not the best movie to watch if you even have if you have a hangover Cause it's just like it just will not stop at times. Where it's just there's it just trumpets in your face at all times. It's like, dude, come on, I just I'm trying to watch a movie here. Can we just, can we put just the leave me be? Yeah, put the put the bugle away, okay? Just put it away for a little bit, and and, and most specifically. Every time we're gonna bring up the man who gave me water, there has to be like harp chimes in the background. Like, it's
1: like, all right, we get it. It's Jesus,
0: right? We just, he doesn't need his own. He doesn't need his own little instrument playing every
1: time we see him. Yeah, this, like is, I this isn't a twist. Like we, don't need, we don't need to be coy about this. <laughs> So I mean, it's just the it, it, the score the yeah. score
0: does need to it needs a few less minutes on it, the floor. It is, we it we is, need, we
1: need to spell the score a little bit here with yeah. like a backup point guard, hopefully. It is it is nice during the charity scene. They kind of know to not have a play.
0: And amazing it's, choice. Yeah, an, amazing a really, choice. a really
1: great choice to kinda of like because that could have easily been like end, <Johns> right. pac- yep. and I'm glad that they um they showed restraint on that. Yeah. It
0: doesn't need to be you know, it doesn't need to be Christopher Nolan and the Batmobile
1: going down the, the expressway. <laughs> well you <it's, or>, well, <laughs> mean you said this before, like you said like a score shouldn't tell me how to feel. Right. Right. And I feel like that's that's what Ben Hur does quite a bit in this yeah.
0: movie. The battle ship sequence. I mean, I thought that the look really awesome. I mean, I don't know, what did you what did you think about, about that, Der Adam? I,
2: I think when it's close up on the real people it looks it looks it looks great. Um, the uh, Ian and I talked about this a lot with some of the classic films where as older films get restored and restored um, the far uh, the the far away shots of looking at the ships at as a whole. It's like you can tell those are just toy miniatures on, on little people. miniatures. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty. And I, and I get that's a product of the time. I'm not ripping on the movie for that. It's that's unintentional comedy that, that truly, truly delighted me to see. Um, but when they when they actually zoomed in on the people, yeah, just, I thought that was. I mean, at one point I go, Ben Hur burns a guy's face. I mean, this shit gets intense.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: the guy guy comes up with one arm and the stub out of the uh, out of the base it's like oh god
1: yeah that was yeah that's right yeah like a severed like a severed
0: hand and yeah yeah, I the the miniatures didn't t- that I agree with you. And that being said, but the miniatures didn't take me out of it. I mean, I I can live with William Wyler filling up his bathtub and putting a couple <laughs> floaties in there and having a, p-choo,
3: p-choo, p-choo.
0: you know that <laughs> I did like how like the little fireballs just like missed a lot, you know. They like, had terrible aim. <laughs> terrible aim. had terrible aim. No, none, of them hit. <laughs> but the the scene of the boat crashing in in the water, it's it's just one of those things. Like oh god, you know that's probably what that was like. I guess mm. right. <laughs> well I'm there rowing away in the ship and all of a sudden, oh my god, there's another they, ship in Yeah, there. they look
1: they look at the they look out the porthole and they're like, uh Yeah, they're coming. <laughs> they're at ramming tempo. Yeah. They're at
0: Ramming Tempo over there. Um Yeah, I thought I thought I thought there was some cool stuff there. Yeah. Him and Jack Hawkins floating on the floating on the boat too, and him trying to get him to kill him. But that's just a cool a cool little exchange between the two of them. I, I thought some of the better some of the better exchanges in the movie really were between uh, Heston and, and Hawkins, yeah. um, for sure. Also, I think they a, good, a good rapport together.
2: Also disproving uh, the theory of another Eleven Academy Award-winning film that two people can't fit on a floating piece of debris. That's a little Titanic Jack and Kate joke, just, just for the record.
0: <laughs> <laughs> We're headed back to Rome now, and, and I guess now what the logistics here are is that Heston now, because he saved the emperor, he now becomes... Uh, his slave. His slave, <laughs> and then he frees him just because he – now he becomes his – Well he, he needs right. a son, so he becomes okay. – he fills in as his son. So,
1: yeah, so Quintus takes him in as a slave and just basically runs him through the, the chariot circuit, and, like, he becomes, like, this top-notch chariot racer. Right. And um, that kind of that, – that passage of time happens way too – abruptly
0: yeah i think it's one of those where like all right this movie's pushing four hours let's just uh let's sit through the old yeah, all, all chariot
1: training they, they go from like one ceremony to like then they're at a party and it's like oh well yeah you you've raced for me for two years i'm like what, what? You know? <laughs> and uh quintus's son dies and he just adopts his slave yeah you're I my guess. son now yeah oh as, i thought that was i guess they were known to do
2: I thought that was really touching. I, I really did. I thought that was all <laughs> I oh, no, I thought, just... wow, that's that's amazing. Look at that like and, and it's I, I think Quintus wants more for, for Ben Hur. And obviously the emperor would be like, you know, we can't we can't just free him because, you know Right he's not he's not a Roman. He but assaulted we, a governor. We'll make yeah. him your slave and you do with him as you will. And I think the fact I, I'm not gonna lie, I thought That was really, it was a really sweet moment when he goes, (laughs) I I want you to be my son. (laughs) No, it is. And it
1: was, it was, it was was especially, um, especially so when um, he knows that Ben-Hur, all he wants to do is go back to Judea and he lets him go. He says like, you know, all you've been thinking about is going back there. So go. That That was, that was a nice moment. And this is my quote. Love the movie here. Whoa.
0: So I'm going to plug it in right here. And uh, it's from uh, it's from Quintus Ares, a Jack Hawkins character. And he goes, whoever the gods are, they take small interests in an old man's hopes. Which I thought was a cool, which was just a cool little take on what was going on. It was kind of like a sidebar character who's not focused in on any of these religious yeah. escapades that are going on here. And he's just kind of saying, well, you know what? It's it's the young men that are driving through this and and, and that have their own conquests and, and an old man's hopes to just hang out with the sun and Rome are just the gods are the gods are focused on bigger things. So yeah. I thought it was kind of a nice a nice line there and a, a low key yeah low they,
1: moment. They won't be having catch anytime soon. No,
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> no, they will not. I I had to say the, the the gladiator vibes here were kind of tough to ignore. I mean, it—it's yeah. it, it, like I—I I love Gladiator, and and I think it's a, a great movie and a great story. But it clearly leans on Ben Hur quite a bit with with its premise, you know. As if if it's—I you know it's Gladiator is an original screenplay, Adam. I'm, I'm,
2: Yes, uh, I mean Maximus Decimus Meridius was not a real person. It was kind of an uh, amalgamized character, and and when you read about Marcus Aurelius and his son, a lot of that shit wasn't the way it happened. Commodus was not as uh, like the shit heel that the movie made him out to be. He he did do some game stuff, but people actually didn't mind him as as emperor. Um, but there there no. is something about Gladiator, and and again, maybe it's just sensibilities, and maybe it's just when we saw it. I know. Nostalgia is real, and when you see a movie and how it influences you is, is, will embed itself in your brain and make a movie the way that it is. Um, but yeah, oh, hard sure. hard to ignore the comparison.
0: Yeah, and I think Gladiator was a script that was probably rewritten a bunch of times or something like that. I, 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 I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm, you guys covered that at 1001.
2: Yeah, there were at least three. Or, there were three credited screenwriters, but in terms of the uncredited work that went on, a lot of people that were there to touch up the the actual dialogue, a lot of people that were there to, to sort of um, rein in the scope of it. Yeah, there was a lot going on there with the with the screenplay. So I gotta
0: say here, this this uh, Julius or no, not Julius Caesar, but whatever Caesar was in in Augustus. charge there August- was that Augustus Caesar. Yeah. Okay, so. he kind of looked like a melted candle a little bit here. It was a tough, uh, a, a, a tough casting role here. Looked like he was bit. having a hard time there.
1: Kind of like Salieri and uh, old on in Amadeus. <laughs> <Kind> <laughs> <the>
0: <laughs> I guess he wanted a you wanted a good Caesary looking character. Yeah, there. Sure. But yeah, I'm gonna be targeting him a little later when we get to <laughs> we get to recasts. But it's uh, we're we're getting we're getting Ben Hur back back to the big the the big time here, where he's gonna get his his expected revenge. Yeah, and he's headed back home. Uh, I think we're now at the juncture of this podcast where we have to talk about our good
1: friend Hugh Griffith. Yeah, yeah. We're at the Hugh Griffith section and um, F- famous Middle Eastern actor Hugh Griffith. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, so Adam it looks like here we are once again we're going to do a little segment on brownface yeah. um, uh,
2: you know it's and, and what, what I find you know we didn't know how to approach it with Alec Guinness in Lawrence of Arabia we're not going to know how to approach it here the one thing I, I, I'm, I'll, I'll leave it to the side and just be like yep uh, I'm sure they could have found an actor who actually uh, was Middle Eastern to do it but whatever the, the whole movie is just white people Hugh Griffith is not good in this movie not good. <laughs> um, and I, he's not it's good. Not, it's this Oscar your one you're talking about I, I, yeah, I, well, I know I know I think the wrong it was the wrong supporting actor who won. I also mm-hmm. listen I, I know I do below freezing I, I know I can be sarcastic and snarky at, at times i'm really I'm okay can I, I'm just going to say this if you want to cut it, you can cut it. I'm concerned he's fucking those horses <laughs> And like that—that's coming across. That's coming across like it's a joke, but for real, I—I'm I, concerned about the horses.
1: There is something going on. He is like when he's tucking him into bed. Like it's always like, oh, Rigas, you are very, you are very tired right now. You know, he, yeah, he does. He and you know, he's very, very concerned with this, with the, uh, with them not being whipped, which you know. As an animal lover, I do appreciate it. I but, like that, too. I yeah, like but uh, too. it is a, yeah, he is very affectionate about these horses. I did much.
0: like how that came into play later in the chariot race, where you see that Ben Hur's, know, know, ben not, Hur's whipping. not whipping, and, and, and you and have Masala's uh, mis- mis- just, mis- just, mis- just pounding away. Soon, and he's, yeah. You asked a question, well, I mean, it, it, we're addressing a kind of brown face, I guess, for the first time. Uh, more or less. I'm sure first, we've I'm first sure time I am. Yeah, I'm sure a couple times it's come up. Um
1: I mean we, we, it, talked, we talked about Sir Alec Guinness and David Lean's Oliver Twist, and, which was really problematic now.
0: Right. That was the um yeah the, 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 make-up. the Jewish character, yeah. yeah. But so so when me and Adam did the did the Lawrence pod for one thousand one by one, we have a little segment on Sir Alec Guinness in, in Lawrence Arabia where he plays a you know he plays an Arab and and now you asked me in that, Adam, you said And I have a tough time with this too, because I do have an affection for Sir Alec Guinness' performance in that, because I think he's really good aside of all of that in in the movie. But you asked, why do we separate, why is it okay sometimes and really bad other times? And, and, you know, ultimately it really shouldn't be. But in watching this, I kind of like, I came up with a way to respond with it. And it's not that it's okay when Sir Alec Guinness does it. I just think other times it's just a little worse. And and I think it has to do with the makeup. And this is real Al Jolsony here. I mean, it's this is real, like really this, you can you can just see the shoe polish on his face, and it's just like it's it's rough. And you know, like Hugh Griffith is like a he's like an olive skin dude. Like if no. you're gonna have it, just have him go to the tanning salon for a couple hours. Like you know, like it looks so bad. Well, it, I, it's just it's real I, regrettable. It's, and it took me out of the movie. I got to be honest, it took me out of the movie.
2: What's interesting is that this movie is set essentially now what is current day the Middle East and nobody looks like the way that they've made Hugh Griffith look.
1: And no one looks <laughs> that no one no one's that dark in Palestine. Yeah. yeah. And and it's just Just have him be white if you're gonna I, do it. Th- th- you know? th- what? Th-
2: yes. Yes. Th- that that uh, that's where the confusing part is, is is everybody looks like Charlton Heston or Stephen Boyd, right? Why does Hugh Griffith have because because his name is because he's a sheik like it and and i (laughs) think that's where i think that's why it's probably the most egregious is because it's like okay his name's the sheik thus let's make him darker than everybody else i I, just not a smart choice but i mean i you know unfortunately we're going to chalk it up to oh well it was 1959 but not you know hindsight 2020 just what are you doing
0: yeah um i want to ask you this so do you think that aside his performance is also really bad on top of that for
2: you. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because again, this is, this is one of those things where ultimately you're going to end up on the wrong side because you know, everybody sucks for one reason or another. But um, the thing about uh, Alec Guinness's performance is that he felt the character and the performance felt genuine. Hugh Griffith feels like he's playing a caricature. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And it was broad strokes like, it was like initial first choice wives, acting decisions. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and yeah, I think you touched on that a little bit when we talked about Lawrence too. And, and I mean, and I'm sure we'll talk about this again when we do our, our two-part um, Lawrence episode early next year. But, you know, Sir Alec Guinness was, the, the makeup, again, it's the, I, the concept behind it is 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 not great to begin with, but there's nothing about the makeup that was like too over the top with him and the performance was good. And like you said, it wasn't a character. And like they were mistaking him for the actual guy he was playing. That's how much he like looked really? like him. Like okay. he physically looked like the guy.
1: Hugh Griffith looked like the German kid in Willy Wonka that fell into the chocolate. <laughs> like that's how that's how bad it was. Right. That's how like that's how dark it was. And it just it just it just didn't f- it didn't it wasn't right, it didn't feel like you said, like it takes you it out of it. It actively took me out of it. It, yeah. it like, actively took me. It Because all you're seeing is like, oh, this guy is just completely playing it up. Heading back with with JBA Cherry's headed back to old oh, uh Well, cool. actually my my core of the woman is from that scene. Oh, okay. That's It on. actually ironically is from the Sheik. And, all uh, right. There we but, go. But yeah, we have another we can have somebody else say the line. You sure. Know, not just yeah. um but this is after he talks to uh Balthazar and uh he leaves. And he says, "Balthazar is a good man, but until all men are like him, we must keep our swords bright." Ah, that's a good line. And um, and I, I I think that's something that is still alive, and that sentiment still alive and well today. Where you know, if everyone was as uh, concentrated on peace, if everyone was this forward-thinking as Balthazar is, we wouldn't need not e- not even with literal swords, but just. On edge and defensive. Jbh headed back. He's now just trying to figure out
0: basically what happened to his mom and his sister. Yeah, and uh, this is uh, mm, an inch. I I do love the the showdown that we have here where he returns in Roman garbs, where he's now going to confront under
1: under the name Arius. yeah, Yeah,
0: confronting Masala, and this is. This is kind of your husband to a murdered wife, father to a murdered son, you know, slightly less uh, Russell Crowe dramatic here, but you get the moment of him stepping out of the shadows and into it. Yeah. Um, And a a cool little confrontation. And, And really the back and forth between between those two characters was a lot of fun. Most of this movie too. I wanted to bring up too, though. I like this little like notary system they have with their seals, where they sign like they're signing a bet with their ring. What is it? What are they pushing that up against? Did you guys? Were you guys I able no to pick e- on up on that? I have no
2: idea. Oh fuck yeah, I have no idea.
0: It was a cool little system though. I like. I like it. It's like you just they all have their personal rings and you you punch that little board. It
1: was. It was like the like the entrance to the back cave or something.
0: And I also do like Basala with the. Ah, I can't keep track of all my prisoners. I don't know where they are. Like, give me a break here. Like, yeah. we're, we're good. And then he leaves and he turns to get just go find
1: those two Just uh, figure yeah. this out And if they're this, dead this is, this. And if they're dead They're dead <laughs> like, what, do you, what, do you, what do you want from me Yeah it's yeah. great Yeah
0: he's great We're going to Then stumble down Into the dungeons here And we know they're alive Because they're eating the bread Right And we get our big uh, Reveal moment here Where the, the guard goes in And it's Dun 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 Music's They're leopards yeah. But I gotta say though this is a plot device that we're not we don't see too often, where just like a character becomes a leper. You know, it's like well, wow. Like I was yeah. like, oh my god, I wasn't ready for that. Like, wh- like I'm just using something a little more cliche than that. Like, imagine like in like Reservoir Dogs, if like they're all meeting back at the at the at the base, and it's like, where's Mister Orange? Where's Mister Blue? I don't know. I don't know. And then and then you know someone comes back, and they're they're like, where's
1: Mister Brown? Mister Brown's alive. But he's a leper! They're like, oh, God, no, keep him away. I do have a question. I'm not a a disease expert, um, but leprosy is spread through, kind of like COVID, it's kind of spread through aerosols and it's kind of spread through flying bits. So how did two people in a solitary jail cell contract leprosy?
2: Oh, don't fucking look at me. I got no idea.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um... Yeah, we both, I, we both just always said, uh, uh, yeah, Do- <laughs> you're like Adam. doctor, you're the one with the masters here, Doctor Saint go. John from the. Pacific listen, listen, Northwest. listen. My
2: advanced degree is in acting, so let's be, <laughs> let's be real about that. <laughs> listen,
1: so you should so you, you should act like you knew the answer. <laughs> listen, you are by far the most qualified person we've ever had on this show, so yeah. <laughs> we're going to look to you for a lot of answers. <laughs> No, you're gonna have I,
0: to step in and wear many hats here. I
2: wonder though, I because I, I I I do I I mean who part of me wants to assume, and this is me surprisingly trying to give the movie some more credit than it, I think it deserves. But sure. I, I, the I, when they play into the you know when the guys like I've been here for three years and I've never seen them like so whether or not it's it's leprosy the way that we know it or just some fucked up skin condition either way when they yeah. when they sell how long they've been in there I. I remember kind of cringing, like you know, they put like I'm trying. This, this is maybe not the best example, but like you know, when Denzel plays Reuben Carter in The Hurricane, like he's in solitary for like a month, and these fucking people yeah. are down subterranean levels for three years. Like
0: I'm not sure what they got, but I'm sure it's pretty fucking bad.
1: Yeah, it's an awful, awful conditions, terrible conditions. I yeah. don't
0: again. I don't know the specifics of leprosy, but from what I understood of it was, is that at the time, was believed to be hellaciously contagious, but not, I don't think it was actually as contagious as people believed it to be. Where, like, I think well, people I mean, like, you, you, don't go
1: near the leper, yeah, but well, I, I mean, if you saw that in the movie where people were like running for the hills when they saw lepers down it, the street, it,
2: I mean, no, 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 uh, it, it was, it was the AIDS of its time, it was the disease that people thought, yeah. if I touch this person, I will get it, and yes. thus I'm going, like, I mean. I I there's I mean later when they actually say the valley of the lepers I was like gee and, and then there's and then again that intrusive score comes in where it's like oh we get it it's a bad place but really though it's like <laughs> yeah. these people have been shunned and it's just like yeah couldn't help but think like this is just like literally trying to just like this is the problem but instead of trying to solve it we're just gonna sh- literally put it to the side and let you fucking deal with yourselves
0: and I think Adam you brought up a good point too is like there was probably at especially at that time we're talking about like twenty five A D I think they group a lot of things into one category. It's like, oh, if they have anything wrong with their face or their skin, or, you know, it could have been lupus, it could have been anything. It's just like, could have, could have boom, been, this it, is, yeah, this is listen, leprosy. it could
1: have been just bad acne.
0: Right, right, or, or you know, the herp or something, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, so segue. Uh, <laughs> sure. Were you fully buying the whole I don't want Judah to see me thing coming from mom here? Was it, <sighs> I mean, it. I, I guess... You know, it's. I've known. You know, I've known people who, who have, who have been diagnosed with cancer. Who say that they don't want you to tell anyone that they have it because they want to continue living their life. So, but that's a little different than this. So like he's I looking to, yeah, yeah, and he's looking to find them. He wants to know if they're still alive. And yeah. she's like telling them to say no, no, no. As far as he knows, we're dead. Kind of like a tricky thing there, and it, it was it did you think that was too plot devicey, or were you, were you buying it
1: I, I bought the, it the problem is it, uh, if it was a plot device, it was a plot device that resolved itself in like five minutes, so it was a useless plot device yeah, um, right i mean it was, it was kind of interesting to know to, for him to think for a little bit that that with him with the chariot race, them being dead in his mind, i guess, but no, i know i do I do understand. Uh, where the mother's coming from, because you know Judah has this whole vision of what the mother and sister were to him and what and and now with leprosy, it completely changes yeah he wants to, it, she wants him to remember them
0: the way that he did, yeah right what were you going to say,
2: Adam? I totally agreed with with Grant, I think um by by kind of adhering to the mom 's wishes uh it puts it puts Judah on this course essentially, i mean. Maybe revenge is the right word, not right word, I don't know, but that's what leads us to the chariot race i mean it it's the it's the mm-hmm. prompt that we need to get us there um and yeah, and I think too, like a it's you know I, I I I think about the shit that I would do for my kids. What like if I thought it was in their best interest, and if I thought it was in their best interest for them to know that I was dead, I don't know what circumstances that would be. But if I thought it was the best for them, <coughs> that that's yeah. that would be what I said. So um, you know, I and, yeah yeah hmm. on a parental level, I get that too a little bit.
0: Yeah, okay, and and now so she tells this to to old, or to to Esther, who we haven't really talked about. Haya Harit uh, plays Esther. And I think does a serviceable job. Got some, some Elizabeth Taylor vibes going on there. It's kind of like a knockoff Elizabeth Taylor. Um, but I this – is, this is like White Lie 101 here. Okay, so she, te- she makes you swear not to, tell, not to tell Judah. Okay, fine. All right, so she goes back to the thing, and they bring them up. And she's like, oh, um, I saw them. Uh, they're dead. You know, it's like, why are you making this lie more complicated? Like, what? Like, just just no. I don't know. I yeah. don't know. I haven't seen them. Because she made. She said, promise you didn't see us. T- 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 yeah. Tell him you didn't see us. Not, oh, I saw them. Oh, and they were dead. And yeah, uh, well, well, one of them was dead it's, right like, away. Well, then the wait, other was you... still alive. I tried to nurse her back to life, but uh, she didn't make it. Her last words were, but it's like, what? stop.
1: Stop. Yeah, it's, yeah just the more, the more details you give of a lie, the worse the lie gets. <laughs> right. Really. Bad right. So Yeah. Just yeah. There
0: yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I think it's as simple as that. And, you know, a little, a little bit of not, not great acting on top of that, too, if you can. But when, I think when you're – well, you, let, me, let me ask you this as, as, an, as an actor, Adam. So I'm not going to make you answer medical details here. This is something <laughs> a little more in your, in your wheelhouse here. I'm sure you've acted before where you've been fed not such great material. Do you feel like as an actor, it's your responsibility to turn a poorly written line into something that works? Or do you sometimes you just kind of take one for the team and, you know, you're going down with the ship?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Somebody has been in their in their fair share of not great scripted plays. Um, Yeah. No, you you obviously do the best that you can. Yeah. The truth is, is that as an actor, you you, you want to do the best that you do. But, um, and I was, I was listening to this, um, this great, Joseph Gordon Levitt was just on Mark Marin, and he said something that I, I don't hear actors say enough, which is that as an actor, you want to do your best, you want to serve the script, but ultimately you want to, you want to serve up your director. You want to make the director look good. You want to, you want to tell the story that they are trying to tell. So, um, at the end of the day where we might want to praise a performance, that performance really is in line with a director's vision. So, you know, I I think, I actually think that, um, uh, what kind of, Hara Harareet, Haya, is it Haya? Haya, yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, Haya Harareet, yeah.
2: Um, I think she, I think she knows the film acting stuff really well. There's actually a moment, um, at the end of the first time we see here where she turns to camera and has a single tear going down the right side of her face. That's yeah. primo film acting. I know we kinda, I kind of made fun of this in our Roman Holiday episode. Gregory Peck did the old film acting trick where you just don't blink and look intently for a long time and those tears will flow, man. If you're feeling it and you don't blink, our tear ducts need to, that, that needs to go somewhere so you cry. Um, so I think she does a serviceable job but at the end of the day, She's going to do the best she can with the script and and the best she can with what William Wyler is telling her to do. Um, And that's going to be the same for for anybody.
0: Yeah. And, and I guess what we'll reiterate, too, is that is the one award. The, the screenplay is the one award that did not win. And, you know, you talk about the big five, which would be, you know, picture, director, actor, actress. Writing and that's yeah. five. Um, it, it obviously didn't have an actress nominee. It's, just, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real dude driven movie here. And it didn't get that writing knock in. So it really only, it, despite winning the 11 awards, it really only won those three. Yeah. Their director, actor, and uh, picture. It's funny that the other two that won 11 were not acting driven movies either. You know, Titanic got the, the two nominees from the actress standpoint, didn't get an acting, even, I don't think Leo yeah. even got nominated. Yeah, and Lord of the Rings did not get one. I think in the whole series there was it only got a supporting actor nod in the first one. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, could, but these are all spectacle movies, right? Where a bulk of a bulk of the nominations and a bulk of the wins come from technical technical achievements. Yeah,
0: yeah, true. Yeah, I think Avatar would probably be another one that I think won a whole boatload didn't didn't win picture, but I think won a ton no. of a ton of technical well, Oscars too. Sure, because it's a spectacle. Yeah, so. so we're we're gearing up for this big race here and. I think that this is just. Let's. This is a great time to just talk about the filmmaking here and talk about this this sequence. I, I'd say probably one of the single most famous scenes in cinema history, as far as sequences go. Yeah, I'd say so.
1: Yeah, totally,
0: Grant. When you were seeing this, how much of it was familiar to you? I mean, you mentioned it in any given Sunday. <laughs> yeah, but... I
1: mean, but that's in flashes and stuff. Yeah, for for something that was made so long ago, it's um, surprising in a way how. Fast-paced it is. Mm. How how well it moves because it could easily have been. Because well, like when they when they first came to the arena and then they they did them they they played them the marching song and they go around they go around the circus and they I'm like oh fuck like this is gonna this is gonna be not as good as I as I hoped it would be, but as soon as that stops and they <laughs> kick in they kick into gear it's nonstop and it actually does a great job of building the world like the guys running out cleaning up the debris clean, getting the bodies out on stretchers it's it, it felt very lived in which i really appreciate because because they could have easily just glossed over things They had the they had the fish turning over to signify the lapse all that stuff it, it just felt it felt really lived in
2: oh yeah um i I you know i don't i i know already i already mentioned my um my less than stellar vibes of Charlton Heston in the movie. But what I will say about the race is I very much appreciated seeing him and Stephen Boyd in a lot of those long shots. I mean, there are definitely clips where there are stunt doubles in the chariots, but there Mm -hmm. are definitely long takes of them coming around the corner and you're seeing Boyd and Heston in the chariots. And I, I mean, beyond, beyond the filmmaking, beyond the grandeur there's just a respect that i give to those people for actually doing it and and this is pre like well i mean there were movie stars but this was before like there's no way we're gonna risk our our star getting hurt doing any of these long takes like if we can do a close-up and they're not really on it great but like the the admiration I give to, I mean, not just those two, I mean, the stuntman in general, but like watching these two people, particularly Heston, who was the star of your movie, being in some of these takes was was, was pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, and this, this was way before things were as safe as they were now, and it could have eased, like, one small accident could have been life- literally life ending yeah i don't i don't know if this is movie lore or if it's
0: actual truth is that someone that someone died during the filming of of this scene that's lore Um, you know i that is lore okay yeah that's yeah and i might Um, i
2: i will put my hand up and say this might not be totally accurate but the way that i understand it and i'm going to step on an uh something that you do later but uh so andrew morton was the second unit director for this and him and yakima cannot who was the stunt guy for it, basically choreographed and did the entire chariot sequence. Everything from after the pageantry, everything after those laps that they mm. took that, again, were painfully long, everything else <laughs> of the chariot race was those two guys. And I believe that it was Yakima Knut's son, I think his name was Joseph, is the one who gets kind of trampled there. He didn't die, but... He he was he was really hurt that he he was injured. Wow. Um, but I don't I believe it's lore. I don't believe anybody died in the chariot race.
0: Yeah, I mean I I did the quick the quick uh, the quick lazy Google around a little bit, and it it seemed like that someone died on set, but it was unrelated to the filming of the chariot race, and that just got that just got warped wor- in together throughout throughout as we go right but uh, yeah and that scene that you're talking about there Adam I mean I did like a stand up oh you know while, while I'm watching it like oh, it the guy, was the guy on his knee yeah it's, it's yeah. like oh, just grizzly grizzly stuff um, I, I am a huge sucker for any time in a movie sequence where you have like the group Going through it and they just get picked off one by one. It's like, oh, the green guy's gone, and oh, whether it's like the um, yeah. you know, in, in Star Wars where they're where they're the uh, pod race yeah, thing. where they're go yeah. yeah, they're or yeah, they're going after <laughs> the um, they're going after the Death Star and but oh, the fat guy's gone,
1: he blew up. Uh, I was talking um, about the pod race from from Phantom Menace. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> <all right. laughs> Phantom Menace made its way in yet again. That's, that's more like Ben Hur
0: than uh than A New Hope, right? right. Yeah, uh, a, a lot of fun. I gotta say about the pageantry though is. In these movies, there's always the, 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 the important person talking to the stadium filled of people. Like, could you imagine someone, like, standing at, at home plate at Safeco Field, like, Okay, everyone, here's what we're going to do today. The guys up in the grandstands are like, ah, I, I didn't yeah. get that. Could you, could you speak up a bit?
2: <laughs> well, and that's that's actually that's funny, because if you call it back to Gladiator, I, I don't know the character's name, but there's the guy who is proclaiming the uh, the events that they're they're going to reenact in the Coliseum. And that guy was projecting Pontius Pilate just sort of, oh, yeah, this is this is what's going on. Yeah. No, he, <laughs> he was not selling it. he He did not know how to uh-huh. use his diaphragm and speak to everybody. He was he was failing.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're in the nosebleeds,
0: you don't get any of that. So this scene in itself is, and I think Adam, you you led off this podcast brilliantly with it. Is it's just if if you can really sum up its importance in a sentence, and you said it perfectly, it's, it's something you're just not going to see again. Yeah. And I love stuff like that. I love like that's that's true film history where we've as as a filmmaking society, for better or for worse, we've moved on from from filming things this way. A good. A, in a in a good way, in the sense that you know actors and animals are no longer at harm, but in a bad sense, in the sense that you lose the office, authenticity of the, of the viewer. But one way or another, we have this, and we'll always have this, and that's a that's a, a really if you know when we talk about the legacy of these films, it's impossible to talk about the legacy of Ben Hur and not discuss the Chariot Race. You
2: have can to. I can I give a weird yeah. um, like a weird tangent to that? Um, the yes. thing about CG two is that it's. It's so planned, right, that a team's going to go in and basically dictate specifically what's going to happen. There's no room for error, and there's no room for improvisation. And there's uh, a—the thing I want to go to for a second, I swear this will be brief, is in Die Hard, there's the moment where where Bruce Willis is hanging in the elevator shaft, and he falls. And in the movie, he happens to catch onto the ledge and not fall down the shaft. Well, what happened in—what actually happened is the stunt double fucked that up, that wasn't supposed to happen, but the camera yeah. caught that, and they decided instead to keep that moment. They decided to keep him sort of like falling and catching, and then they added, they added Bruce Willis catching himself, and you don't get wow. that moment if it doesn't happen by accident, and then it's, it becomes a part of your right. movie, whereas as in CG, you plan everything, and- mm-hmm. The, the, the thing about acting, the thing about movie making and theater and all this stuff is that if you, if you leave it open to the, the mysteries, the happenstances, that's where the gold can be. And CG has eliminated that entirely. So whereas we right. can get awesome, great shit in, in like Lord of the Rings and Avatar. And, and, and honestly, in anything, it's been pre-planned and it's going to look exactly the way that somebody wants it to versus, oh, let's see what happens.
0: Yeah, and, and we've talked about the happy accidents plenty of times in these films whether it was jaws, you know
1: jaws rocky
0: yeah jaws with the you know uh, um jaws uh, uh, many times. You know, rocky with the guy flip yeah oh. the guy tossing the apple to rocky where that's just a yeah. random guy on the street doing it the, godfather or the, or the, or had or the, or a couple of lines that right were in like
1: rocky with the um the rink the ice skating rink that like no no one just showed up to and that, yeah that yeah kind of and you and just and yeah, yeah exactly
0: so there, there's a there's a ton of times where you get that and uh you hope that you still get examples of it i'm i'm obviously you know it's it's diminished because of the types of movies that they make these days everything's a little more planned out as you said but it it seems that all of these legendary movies had at least one moment here where something went wrong and someone just stepped up and did something and and that's what we're we're remembering it for so yeah. the blades on the on the wheels gimmick here where you're you know you're you have the big, bad wheel that just shreds yeah. up the other chair. I mean, how yeah. many times has that been used since then, like, in oh, reference to this? I thought
1: of Greece immediately. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's that's where my mind went. Yeah, but what, what did they call it? It was, like, it was a Greek chariot where it had, like, the spikes on it. I'm like, yep. how is that legal? Yeah. Like, that can't be legal.
0: <laughs> but it's like, how many, like, Nickelodeon cartoons have you seen where it's just, like, it's just oh, the, sure. the big, mean thing that just crushes the poor little chariot and, and does that. I yeah, love it. Well, you
2: know what's interesting is... M- Masala in general. So it's it's obviously it's his chariot that has the spikes on it. But it's right. there's a lot of things about Masala that are just slightly different than everybody else. I don't know if you noticed this, but when we first see him and he's basically um it's like the changing of the guard, right? He's now going to take over Judea while the other guy moves on. And and they have the, the Roman headdress, the helmets, and they have the kind of um you know almost broom-looking tops to them. Well, his is frilly. And if you go back, his headdress looks specifically different from everybody else's. It's not tight and in. It looks almost like it's been feathered. It plays into this idea that Masala believes that he is better than other people. And I think that also plays into having the spikes on the edge of the chariots. He, He can do it because he's better than you. And I love, too, that... Obviously he doesn't win the race, but it's also a great like like yeah, fuck you. You did you couldn't we couldn't win with spikes on your wheels, dude.
1: Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. That's just a little rare case of subtle filmmaking in this <laughs> in this movie. Anything else we gotta say about the charity race? Do we have No, I don't think so. I mean it was uh it was brutal with uh, Masala getting run over <laughs> getting run over. He gets it does not end well for him at all. The only thing I to want say to say least, is just there's a
2: yeah. line before the race, before they, before the pageantry, where Masala goes, this is the day, Judah. It's between us now. And my response is, well, yeah, it's between you and him and the uh, seven other people who are racing. You know, so.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about the insulary guys in the background there?
1: Yeah. What about the guy from Cyprus? He has a say. You know, just...
0: <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk the death scene here, because um, I, I mentioned it before. They they made a lot of choices, and they all worked for me. The lighting of the room being the first one. Uh, choosing to do it in kind of a really really shadowy area where we don't see every detail, really great, perfect amount of blood, you know, carry, Stephen King carry level amount of blood on him, you know, really doused in it, and just really crushes the scene from an acting standpoint, where I think it's like, again, I mean, I don't know how cliche it was in 1959, I would imagine it was still pretty damn cliche, but... Certainly, in watching it today, is how many death scenes do we have where this guy's gonna mutter his last words that he has to get out and to then the, and
1: then to drive the plot? Yeah,
0: and then instantly yeah. breathe his last breath and uh, he's gone. Um, the tension of him not wanting them to cut his leg off until Judah Ben Hur shows up, yeah. Uh, really, really loved that. Uh, it, it, it. I thought the scene was just like ten out of ten. I thought it, it, it executed in every standpoint.
2: Yeah, I think you're. I think you're spot on. There's something about, you know, there's so much about Masala that I actually am so much more interested in. And where he was, I mean, obviously he's been run over by a chariot, and and obviously he's he's on the verge of death. But obviously the strained relationship with Ben Hur, that he's he's fighting off death. So that he can give that he goes like they're in the valley of the lepers, and you can find them if mm-hmm. if you recognize them, to deliver like one one last boom terrible line. I, I just I can't imagine the the I don't know the fortitude to stay alive to just give one more fuck <laughs> you to
1: Ben Hur. Yeah, just a final twist of the knife. <laughs> That's right. Damn it, I'm gonna die a shit
0: heel. Whether was, I know I'm, I know I'm going to burn in hell, but here we go. I'm getting my last line out.
2: <laughs> but like, but you're Love right. It. Like, it it could have been like, and we're kind of laughing about it. But like, it could have easily turned into this. Like, ah, you fucked that up. That this isn't good. But like, there's so much yeah. hate behind the the words that there's a there's a category coming up. I'm not going to get into yet. But I'm I'm am fascinated by by Masala. Like like I really am fascinated by him.
0: Yeah. The the, the percentage the percentage of success for for converting on my 2021 viewing of that scene working was super low. It was yeah. super low and as it was coming up I'm like, "Oh, this is going to be rough." And it and it just it, well, he it, it, it he kicked he kicked the 70-yard field goal there. And it, it. yeah, crushed <laughs> yeah. It. yeah. Yeah,
1: it could have it could have easily been this eye-rollingly bad. Yeah moment and instead it was it was character defining.
0: Yeah Stephen Boyd just was a brilliant brilliant movie and, and I would imagine when you said that the wrong supporting actor won that's what you're
1: referring to. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah.
0: Okay, so let's go to the last uh hour and forty five minutes of the movie. Uh <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it does uh, th- this is where the editors gotta step up and, and chop some stuff here. This is this is where it turned into a judd at the town movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's right he meanders his way over to the to the, the valley, valley of the, the lepers yeah. which is like a cool sounding uh concept you it's know like, it's like, a
1: great metal band name yeah <laughs> <laughs> it, really, it really is <laughs> like they're headlining Ozfest. you know, this is, know that's right yeah. they're on the lad they're the last band to
0: play on the side stage the valley of the <laughs> lepers yeah. zach wilde's new band <laughs> i think i want to say with the lepers in general. I think. For the most part, they made a lot of really good choices in the presentation. Um, they
1: didn't overdo it, which was nice.
0: Yeah, they did a yeah. lot of not showing them. There are a lot yeah. of them being wrapped up and, and I almost kind of wish they went a little further. And when they showed, there was a couple moments where they showed them in, in the daylight. I kind of wish that maybe they showed a little, even a little more restraint. But I really liked the the interiors of the caves. And how that was shot, I, I thought I yeah. thought that was really cool it was disorienting and and it 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 kept you intrigued as as, as a viewer here and and really dug that a lot
1: well it's 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 interesting because Ben Hur is so for the most part the movie's so wide open like even the even the interior scenes except for the boat, even the interior scenes are, are these huge sprawling yeah. um, halls, and then you go into the, and when he's trying to find his sister. And he's literally crouching. He can't. Mm. It's just so claustrophobic, and dark. It's it, it was a, it was a nice juxtaposition. Yeah, for sure.
2: I mean, I, I know we have from a storytelling standpoint, we have to resolve everything that is happening in the Valley of the Lepers. But this last chunk of the movie is such a yeah. slog. And and again, I'm not and I'm not trying to be funny with it. It just is like, you know. And I have so many problems with the way they're doing it. I mean, there's this. There's this big – so so Judah wants to go see his pa- his parents and his mom's walking out. Last second, he ducks behind the rock so that he doesn't see her. She gets the food and goes away. And then he has this huge argument with Esther right outside the caves. And now this is going to sound funny, and I'm going, can they not hear this argument inside the caves? <laughs> I thought they were going to come out. Like, what's, when what I first is watched this? it, I thought they were coming out. I, I don't I, – I mean – I don't, I, this, it just takes so long. The, I mean, the end of this, and you're right. You're, I I think this movie has the Return of the King problem of having too many endings. And this movie has too many endings. And, yeah, I, man, I wish I, I, honestly, I wish I cared more. I wish I cared more about the re- reconciliation of Judah with his mom and his sister. And I don't, I, I it, I, I don't know. Maybe that, that probably says more about me than anything else, but I wanted more.
1: No, I, I agree. I feel like the main, the main focus of the movie was, was, uh, Judah versus Masala, and once that got resolved, like you kind of think that's going to get wrapped up, and then you have to go around the block through more times, mm. and it's um it's it's kind of it's kind of frustrating. You spend three hours going through this movie, and then all of a sudden you still have to kind of <laughs> sit around and just kind of take it.
2: And, I, and the And I think the additional problems I think this is where the the writing gets the laziest this, so Judah and Esther leave the valley and they 're in a bad mood and it just so happens that this is where judas or, uh, this is where Jesus is going to start proclaiming to the people and this just happens to be the moment where uh, Ben Hur remembers that there was a guy in the desert who gave him water. It ju- just so happens that it happens to be at the same time that that guy yeah. is there, and there 's no rhyme or reason for him to remember this and it, the 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 storytelling gets so lazy here. Um, it but this does lead to one of my my favorite shots in the movie, where, um, Jesus is proclaiming to the crowd with his back to us, and he's he's in the foreground, but Judah is in the background and he's slowly leaving. I fucking love that shot. That's that's a great shot that's by great William Wyler.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, but the storytelling in this section is just. Oh man, I I don't know. I really wanted more from this chunk of the movie, and I just feel like it failed to deliver.
1: It, it it does it does feel like this is the point where they kind of force the the Jesus angle into it. Not not from a religious standpoint, just because they they kind of have to tie Jesus into it. Okay, well we kind of neglected that for a while, so let's really just ramp that up and just kind of put a bow on it.
0: Yeah, and and I think there's a story to be told here where you can you can intertwine it without it feeling excessive and forceful. And this mm-hmm. was the portion of the movie that needed the most cleaning up. And I, I, well, I, I kind of knocked on the on the first half a little bit, or not the first half, but the first hour, I just I thought that they just there was a little there's a little bit of heel dragging that went on in the first hour where that could have been sped up a little bit, where there were moments that you guys pointed out that actually were really great moments in it. but th- this is the part of the movie that needs the most cleaning up because there is a lot of loud stuff going on here. And if you just like, I, I like the idea of him not wanting to go to the sermons and not wanting to see the sermons and not being interested in, you know, them pushing him to, to go to go and see that there. Because I think that that's the type of thing that is applicable to any sort of religion, where, you know, I, I'm going through my own shit right now. I don't need to deal with it. you know, there, there is a story that can be told there that remains interesting where you could still intertwine the passion and the, and the crucifixion without it it, it, it just needed to be done a little more tactfully and it needed to be tighter and it, and it wasn't. It, with this, this portion of the movie is not, and, and you have to have, have, have the self-awareness that you just had Hulk Hogan versus, versus Andre the Giant, in that chariot race you can't you can't roll out with another jabroni tag team match after that you just can't like you have to if you're gonna end the movie that that ending needs to be concise it needs to be tight you can't just roll off the adrenaline that we got from the from the chariot race and expect that we're just going to be in in the palm of your hand
1: yeah i mean after after this after this huge moment with the chariot race he has to go back to Pontius pilot and like give the ring back and it's 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 a it's a it's a nice moment it's a nice bookend to the character with with areas but it just feels so it feels so anticlimactic after what happened
2: yeah there's a real there's a real you were talking about the score being intrusive at times and there's a moment where uh judah has returned from uh from pontius pilate back to his home in judea and uh that's where everybody is and he's talking to esther and he's basically he's he's still pretty much revenge driven at this point and there's a moment where esther goes it's as if be- it's-, it's as if you became masala and the music goes like duh, 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 and he turns to her and I was like, oh, okay yeah this is just like it, it was yeah. so melodramatic it was so melodramatic it was
1: it was very much like general hospital it was
0: yeah what, what did you guys think of Punch's pilot and the actor that portrayed him there
1: i thought it was fine i guess i really didn't think much of it to be honest I got yeah. He's kind of like a big historical figure. Oh, huge well, figure, yeah.
2: I, but I feel like it falls in the same the same realm of the guy who played the emperor. Like they were both like okay, they're they're barely in it. I, you know,
1: I. Yeah. He was okay, I guess. Punches pilot who played such a such a big role. I got I guess this is where it's weird, right? Because he plays such a huge role in the story of Christ that he plays such a minor role in the story of Ben Hur. So you're kind of expecting him to have this bigger moment or you know this this. This larger role, and it's it's not because it, because of the affiliation with Jesus. I, I will say that I did
0: like, and this goes back to what I was saying before, in, in showing it from a Roman perspective, like if you look at Pontius Pilate's role in in the whole Passion of the Christ and and that and the crucifixion and all that, if you're looking at it from a Romans perspective it's really kind of just business as usual you know it's like yeah oh, we got this situation we gotta clean it up and move and that's kind of how this movie portrayed it and I did appreciate that a little bit and I liked I liked the twist of showing things from the Roman perspective and I think by having a dialed down version of Punch's Pilot they did a nice job accomplishing that because we didn't need Punch's Pilot to have this over-the-top presence in this movie I think he kind of just needed to be serviceable and, and, and just pass the ball on to the next guy yeah uh so I, I guess we'll we'll end with this with with the the cru- the, the passion the crucifixion scene here. Um, too much.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Too much. It's like we get it. <laughs> we, we you, don't, yeah. you don't you don't have to really belabor the point here. We we understand what's going on. Yeah. Um.
0: I I would say if you were gonna do it, I don't like showing him on the cross. I I think I think that goes against the idea of what you did with not showing his face the whole movie. I think you're you're showing too much there. Um, I I like the the scenes of, of, of him like them nailing him to it. Like I, I think that that works from a, from um, from a filmmaking standpoint. And then you should leave it at that. We don't. You can show people maybe looking up at him, but you don't yeah. need to show him up there. I think that's when it starts to get to be
1: to be too much. To drive the story home that they have laid out, you need to show Ben Hur at the. I would show him giving so, him the water. So, I like the, yeah. the
0: the cl- closing the closing the bookend with the giving him the water. Maybe the nailing in the cross just I mean, kind of show how him, brutal watch, it was.
1: So like watching him on the cross. Yes, but you, you don't show need, you don't need to see Jesus, but yes. you need to show him there present at the crucifixion. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and everything can just be done in in less time. Just yeah, tighten it up. You have the water scene. Maybe you, you do the you do the nailing of the cross scene, and then you show him there. And I, I think maybe it's. I guess it's probably important to do the whole "don't blame them" kind of thing to hammer out Adam what you said before about the the shouldering the shouldering the load. Um, it, it seemed very literal for me, as, but again, I, we, Grant, as you mentioned, we went to Catholic school, so we've heard the, the story every year for every year of our life. So it's oh, yeah. kind of like, all right, you know, we, now we have Charlton Heston telling us. Um, so uh, it. So from that standpoint, I was like. But I guess for someone who knew nothing of the story, it is kind of important to. Hammer home that theme a little bit there. I, I and, and I totally get anyone who thought this was a little too much from a religious standpoint. I totally get it. I wouldn't fault anyone for saying that they didn't enjoy it because of that. I personally thought William Wyler specifically did a good enough job of telling the story, the biblical story of Jesus without it being preachy. I didn't find it to be preachy. And that's just no, coming I, from me.
1: I don't think it was. I don't think it was preachy. I think it was heavy-handed. It was heavy, handed but it wasn't preachy. See,
2: and I, I, it's. I, I don't think it was preachy either. I, I just wonder how necessary it was to the story of of Ben Hur. Um, and again, it's tough right. because he. I know that this. It's it's coincidental, and he learns a a, a lot along the way, and you know, when he, yeah, exactly. At the end, when he said, forgive them father for they know not what they do when he, as he's repeating that back to, uh, to Esther at the end, like, yeah, he, he clearly learned something from this, which is, which is great. But I, you know, could he have not have learned something like that without, do we need the crucifixion for him to learn that lesson? If that's the story you're telling, if you're telling Ben, Hur's story as it happens in his life at the same time at which Jesus is going through this, then that's the story you're trying to tell. And that's the story that, that this was, um, I just wonder if there's not a shorter movie in here where it's not, there, Jesus isn't in it. It's just, it's Judah's story. And we happen to hear about this this Jesus guy, you know, as, as all of it's happening. The story of Jesus is obviously very, very old. And even if you're not religious, I feel like this movie could have done a lot of... Um, letting the audience infer more than just telling us everything.
0: Yeah. And and the other thing, too, that I I just some of the religious iconography distracted from what I thought was a really good theme within this movie that that just kind of got a little bit it got a little bit drowned out. And that was that, you know, revenge doesn't really get you anywhere. And and he the, revenge drove him through his slavery times. And all he thought about was getting home to his family, and then and 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 getting back and getting back and getting back at, at Masala. And then when he finds out his family's done, he's blinded by revenge, and he just he's going to win the chariot race. He's going to drive his buddy against the wall, and his buddy's dead. And then once once Masala is dead, then what? And he's lost and. You had 40 minutes of the movie left to tell. I mean, why not focus yeah. on that – focus on him being lost as a person and, and him being empty because everything that he drove toward really did nothing to fulfill him as a person because he still, he still has to be a son and he still has to be a brother to, to, um, to a mom and a sister who are now you know, in, a, you know, in a diseased state. So that is there, and it's still there in the movie, but it does get drowned out by some of that religious iconography. And you can still have the whole idea of them getting healed at the end after, after the crucifixion and all that. And, and once, he's, once he's able to get over himself and step back and realize that there are, there are things bigger than, than Judah Ben-Hur, that that's kind of when things get resolved a little bit. But I thought they could have leaned into that theme because that theme is there within this movie. Absolutely. Totally agree.
1: Yeah, it's it's there, but it just really needs to be cleaned up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 basically the one. I I I have no problem with the sentiments of this final uh, quarter of the movie or whatever it is. Um, it just really needs to be tightened up.
0: Yeah, the execution wasn't great because yeah. I I do. Yeah, yeah, I do like the I do like the sentiment, the sentiments behind it, and yeah. and the thematic nature of it. But not done, not done great, especially after the adrenaline of that of that charity oh, race. Right. Anything else we got to say in the narrative movie before we move on to awards? Awards? I don't think so. I think I'm good. I f- I
2: feel good. I feel I like the rains that came down. I feel cleansed. <laughs> here we go.
0: <laughs> there and is. and you know, Adam, you're, you're you're on your first time here with the true deep dive with us. Which we. We talk forever around here, so we're <laughs> we're moving up to awards here. So I get you chose to do this with us, you know. You gotta, you know. You unfortunately you got a four hour movie, but here we are. Hey, <laughs> it's
2: it's only it's only seven p.m. Where I'm at, so I'm okay. I'm good.
0: That that's great. That's great. I love it. Um, so let's go ahead and and do those awards now. And we always start with MVP. Yeah. And I always like to let the newcomer go first here. So, Adam, who was your MVP for Ben-Hur?
2: Uh, Got to give co-credit, uh, co-MVP to Andrew Morton and Yakima Canut for their direction and coordination of the chariot race. Hands down. Can't, I can't mm. give it to anybody else.
0: Yeah. Amazing. It's
1: Love great. it. Yeah, well, well, well chosen there. Grant? Uh, mine just overall is the, um, is the set design. It's, uh, it was a massive undertaking, and it really does... The the scale of this movie it does it does mask some of the shortcomings that this movie does have overall it's just very impressive
0: yeah I mean and and Adam mean you mentioned too like this thing is on set so yeah it's not gonna look like Lawrence of Arabia which is out in the desert but it does a good job of bringing you back to uh, you know to a to a, a turn of the you know B C to A D transition period they built that fucking chariot race set I mean you got to give credit to them. <laughs> Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um. So I'm going with uh. My MVP is William Wyler for this one. Um. I. I. I want to. I want to throw out there that, you know, I think when people think of MGM or Metro Golden Meyer, like that's just that's what that's the go-to thing. It's the first thing I think of when I think of a production company, a uh, movie. MGM. Boom. They're the the biggest. The first place you go. Maybe Warner Brothers. But. They were struggling at this time period, and this was a big gamble on their part. The company was in danger of going bankrupt, believe it or not. I mean, it's, it goes back to the, to the 20s and maybe even earlier. Yeah. But they were in trouble, and they bet huge on this movie. They wanted to put out something there that was, that was just going to be a, a, a mega blockbuster, and they paid William Wyler more than anyone had ever been paid it was a million dollars what they paid him no one had been wow. paid that much to direct a movie before so that's like the yankees going out and saying we haven't won a world series in a while we need to win i'm going to pay a free agent and you better go out and perform and he did yeah, i mean yeah. i mean he he captained the ship here the chariot race we've talked about in length here but to the stunt coordination the set design all brilliant but the captain of the ship has to be has to be mentioned in all that too and it was a, it was a it took 5 weeks to film i think what this 1500 extras in, in the mix there, and uh, $4 million alone, I think it was like a $12 million budget. So we're talking, you know, a third of the budgets on that chariot race alone. Yeah. These, are, these are high stakes and heavy stakes here. So sure. it could have gone very wrong and, and buried a lot of people here. And it was William Wyler who came through and did it. So I, I have him as my MVP. Now we go to the tougher part here. The uh, We'll be a little meaner here. <laughs> the LVP. And uh, Adam, why don't you take us on this one here? Least valuable player.
2: I gotta tell you, I was, I was so close to just picking Charlton Heston because I don't think that he is good in this movie. Um, he will come up later, uh, but I. You damn
0: dirty I, apes.
2: But I um, I I gotta give it to Hugh Griffith, for multiple reasons. Mm. But uh, least least of all is that he's just not very good in the movie. Yeah.
1: Grant, LVP. My LVP is. Uh... I did some research here, and I, I learned that a hundred horses died filming this movie. Ooh, that's not good. Uh, when I saw that, I'm like, "Oh yeah, no, that takes the cake. That, f- <laughs> like, that's fucking ridiculous." If that is asterisk, if that is true, a um, hundred horses dying. There's no reason for that shit. So, yikes! That's my LVP. <laughs> that's probably gonna <laughs> probably gonna take the cake. I went. I went with with.
0: Um... With Hugh Griffiths shoe polish on his face too, and and Hugh Griffith in general, he was he was my LVP. He, he should not have won. And I think I mean I always see on on Twitter they they always they love to pick on like the worst people to win every award. Like you know it just feels like every every like like twenty days or so there's someone doing a poll of who was the worst Oscar winner, and Hugh Griffith is always he's always in the mix there with that. So uh, I he just was an LVP. I, I was I was. Authentically taken out of the movie there yeah. with it, and yeah. it, it, was, it was a little tough. So. And, and I think it's doubled by the fact that there was a performance in here that deserved an Oscar, uh, as you said, Adam. So I think that, that hurts there, too. That's LVP. So we now move to Participation Award, where we like to give a trophy to someone who was along for the ride, who you know deserves a little pat on the back, deserves some hardware yeah. in the mix— we, didn't, we couldn't quite qualify them for the MVP, but we do like to give a participation. And I'll go first, just because I already was kind of waxing poetic about him. And I went with Jack, Jack Hawkins here for this. Um, he's in uh, you know, two, two of my favorite movies in, in the David Lean produced, Lawrence Arabia and Bridge of the River Kwai. He's great in this. A nice little, uh, a nice little second act presence he, he showed here and really liked him a lot. So Jack Hawkins as Quintus Aries gets my participation award. Mine as well.
1: Oh, yeah, same deal. Yeah, mine as well. So I'll just just save, save the uh, anticipation. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Adam, your participation award.
2: So Jack Hawkins was mine until this afternoon as I was going through my notes again. And I got to give it to Stephen Boyd. Great.
1: Yeah. Love it. But, but, yes. I gotta, yeah, Boyd's tremendous.
2: So on board with the Jack Hawkins love.
0: Yeah, and I got to say, this conversation alone. Just really made me appreciate uh, Stephen Boyd' performance even more. Just in talking about it, it's like one of those like as you go, it's like wow, you know, like all of a sudden we're mid podcast, and I think he's a candidate for MVP
1: now that I'm <laughs> hearing you guys talk about it. Because I think he deserves a consideration for it. Yeah, yeah he's great. Yeah, he's just, not, he's just not in the movie as much as he. Should be. Yes. Yeah, there's yeah. Yeah. The
0: the movie should have been five hours long and we should have gotten more uh more more time. (laughs) That's more (laughs) avoid. Yeah, great, great stuff. Then that's the beauty of the podcast, as we say around here, right? You 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 develop opinions as you talk about them. Um so next we have scene of the movie. I think this is probably a bit of a no brainer (laughs) here. Is it is it not the chariot race? I think it's kind of the biggest (laughs) that's the biggest (laughs) blowout in this category we've ever had. Um if if we're going to to keep that aside, wh- where did you what did you look at with with other scenes that stood out for you?
1: I liked I liked the tempo scene with the uh, with the rowing in the galleys. Mm-hmm. I liked that scene a lot. That's that's another one that stood out to me.
2: I gotta go yeah. the, the 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 reunion between Masala and Ben Hur at the beginning of the movie.
1: That's a great one. <sighs> yeah, that's yeah, a really great scene, great
0: stuff. And then I'd have to bring out the death scene, uh, Masala's death scene too, which is yeah. just. You know, covered in blood, and get delivering that last line, and making that work when it very easily couldn't have. But um, those would be other ones to bring up too. Adam, did you give us a, your quote of the movie?
2: No, I didn't. Um, and it comes towards the end, and and I got, there's a lot of stuff in here that's really big and and bombastic and and thematic, and I could have gone with that kind of stuff. But there's a there's just a little. It almost seems like a throwaway moment, and it's it's after um, Tirza and Miriam have sort of left the lepers and they're and they're sort of hiding in the cave before the storm. And Miriam says, I'm afraid. And Esther says, no cause. The world is more than we know. And I I really, I like that line because it's so easy to get caught up in our own shit. The Mm day-to-day minutia of just, ah, I got to pay this bill. Who's got the girls today? Yada, yada, yada. But like, to know that the world is so big that we are never going to totally understand everything. That just to try to sit back, don't be afraid. It's just let you got to let everything roll off your back, and I I appreciated that line um, not only in the movie but in the context of just trying to remember that in my day to day existence.
0: That's great, and that and and that was from um, that was from his mom or that was from Esther. Uh, Esther
2: Esther gives that line back to his mom.
0: And and we didn't talk about Miriam Martha Scott, his his mom much. Um, She also played his mom in Ten Commandments too. Is that right? Yeah, but which was I think a couple years earlier than this, uh, Adam. Yeah, you I nice. think less you have not seen Ten Commandments.
2: No, no, I have not. Um, no. Oof. I, I, I'm sure I will at some. Actually, my Blu-ray. Yeah,
0: I mean, listen, my you're a huge T-pack. Charlton Heston. Yes, you're a huge Charlton Heston fan, so
1: it's a must. It's a must watch. Is it is you're it a bad, funkin' Charlton Heston fan? Is it bad yeah. that
2: my favorite Heston performance isn't True Lies? Oh, it's
1: a great one. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> He has, he has the eye patch working for him. It's great. Amazing.
0: Yeah, no, it's, listen. I mean, well, now that's super Old Testament there with that. I mean, it doesn't get yeah. more Old Testament than Moses. But he, m- Moses invented the Old Testament. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I've always, I just, that was on, it was on all the time when I was a kid. So I was always a, a fan of it. When Cecil B. DeMille, just, he goes big or goes home. That's, yeah. how, that's how he does, how he does shit. Time Machine Recast. We are going to put someone in the DeLorean. We're sending them back to... Nineteen fifty nine or to or to fifty seven. Twenty five AD or however you want <laughs> however you want to look at it. What is your time as your recast? Grant, I'm gonna let you go first here.
1: Yeah, uh, I recasted uh Sheikh Yildirim um with um the Middle Eastern actor. Actually well, he's British, but he's of Middle Eastern descent. Um Omid uh Jalili, He was I think people would know him most as the the uh, the fat guy from the Mummy movie from the fr- oh yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. The movie. he's in a tw- uh, season of twenty four too yeah I think, he was yeah. in Gladiator 2, I believe is, oh is that right and yeah, yeah he's he's a um, he's like a comedic actor in uh, in Britain and I feel like he would uh, he would at least be more acceptable in the part than uh, than Hugh Griffith I, I I looked at other I was like oh let me see like who is the guy that played Indiana Jones's friend in Raiders of the Lost Ark the Egyptian. And uh, no, that's John Rhys Davies, another British guy, oh, another Welsh guy. So I'm like, OK, well, fuck that. So uh, so I found I found I was like, well, I was like, who's the guy from The Mummy? Tell me he's actually of, of uh, Middle Eastern descent. So, yeah, uh, amid Dejalili, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. See, these problems didn't just exist within the 50s. They kind of <laughs> no, survived they, they the their way
0: into the 80s. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Adam, where did you where did you go with your first your first time machine recast here?
2: Boy, I know it would have been real easy to to go with Hugh Griffith uh, and and just get him out of the movie. Um, but I I went with Heston. I I, I think we need a new Ben Hur. Um, and part of me wanted to just stick with with Paul Newman of of the era because I I think that that would have worked too. But I also I just don't buy Charlton Heston as Jewish. Um, there's yeah. just something about about him when I see him. So I, I, I don't know how this would work. And this is going to sound like a joke answer, but I would love to see uh, a younger Jeff Goldblum as Ben-Hur.
1: I love it. Wow. That, that crossed my mind. Like the fly era yes. of Jeff Goldblum. Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
2: Exactly.
1: Yes. Because
2: the thing about Jeff that... Goldblum that nobody really gives credit to, and there's the meme of him in Jurassic Park, is Jeff Goldblum was pretty in shape when he was in his peak. Oh, he could rock the, he could rock the cloth. And I, I think, I think it'd be great to see him do something serious in his, in his Jeff Goldblum way. So that's, that's, that's my answer. That that
1: crossed my mind. I love that. I love that. I love that. that. Um, I, so I
0: was honed in on, on punches pilot and I, cause I, I just, and then I was doing, I couldn't, I just couldn't figure out whether I liked this guy's performance or not. Like I, I don't know why I was obsessing over it so much. It just—it it, just—it bothered me that I didn't know. I couldn't put a finger on whether I liked it or disliked it. So, and then I got kind of bored thinking about who I was going to recast. So I just moved on to the to our to our buddy um, our buddy Caesar there, who has the very uh, the very brief role there. But I think that you can, with a very brief role like that, you can make a big impact with the right actor. So I went with Bruce Dern there. Yes. Um, I think I think great. Bruce Dern hops right in. Has a, Steals a scene or two, and boom, we move on. It's like, oh, God, we're Dern's in this. That's right. What a cast. <laughs> impactful performance, yeah. And Love as we it. were talking, I did think of who I might want to throw in as Punch's pilot. And I I went with Principal Strickland from uh, from Back to the Future. <laughs> James <laughs> Tolkien, you know? What? <laughs> he could have a couple heat check moments in there. You know, looks, looks kind of, looks the part, I guess. I don't You're know not a says. slacker, Ben-Hur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're a slacker, Ben-Hur. So there you go. Yeah, so let's, let's talk our spinoffs here. Adam, you seemed excited for this one. So I, I,
2: I really am. I really am. So what, what I want to see is uh, an, an HBO Max TV movie. That's all about okay. it. This is this, this movie is all about the last summer that Masala and Ben Hur had together before Masala goes off to Rome. It is it is like a call a call me by your name sort of get out ty- or um, not get out um, um, <laughs> uh, moonlight thing. And uh, it, it's all about yeah. it's all about what happened that summer before Masala leaves. And and I know this isn't necessary, but I want to let you know that. Uh, at playing Masala would be Dylan Minnette. He's the guy in Thirteen Reasons Why. He also was Jack's son and Lost. He would be playing a young Masala, okay. and yeah, and to go and to go totally, totally down the middle with somebody who who the kids would watch. Tom Holland as a young Ben Hur. Wow, oh, wait,
1: this, this is this is fantastic. Like, where do I sign up? Like this is amazing. Yes, a- amazing. And and by this. the way, I'm
0: I'm just real jacked up for that that Lost reference there. You know, the season. <laughs> Dude. A season six loss reference—that's right up my alley, right there. I lo- love that. You know it, you know it. Hell yes, hell yes. All right, so you uh, looks like you have something ready to Mine's mine's kind of simple because it's just you know yeah. I'll, I'll let the I'll let the listener kind of use their imagination a bit. I I and and you know maybe the spinoff needs to be a metal band, but uh, I think <laughs> I like the Valley of the Leper as as kind of like a just a, a dark you know maybe like AMC show where we're living in the cave and we're finding out like what it is to live in that this this community of sectioned off lepers hmm. here you Can know I, I, my <laughs>
2: first idea for the spin-off was uh, a a an office/parks slash and rec type comedy about the valley of the lepers
0: <laughs> oh, no no that's amazing yeah that's that's, that's great. i love it but now i think that my spin-off just needs to be a metal band entitled the valley of, valley the, of leper. the leper i mean that's that's how <laughs> yeah. did how did no one get there
1: like that should have been that should have been. That has to be some like Swedish band. Like oh. that that has to be that has to be somewhere. Damn! Yeah.
0: All right, Grant. That's next we, yeah. we, we reformed the band again. That's uh, what we're doing. We're well, the Valley actually, of the Leopards.
1: <laughs> speaking of the office, I I did have one where it's going to be like like an office type show where it was going to be the people at the at the chariot races that run in and out and they, and they clear the debris. <laughs> and it was, it was like a kind of like a comedic version of that. They have like the bumbling guys, uh, but I, I ultimately decided on a show, uh, not a show, it'd be a movie called the percussionist. And it's a story about the drummer in the galley and how he was an aspiring, he was an aspiring drummer. Like they wanted to play at the Coliseum, like a cush gig at the Coliseum. Instead he had to get enlisted in this, in the, in the Roman Navy to, to play the tempo for these poor slaves. Wow. And and how he had to come to terms with that. And ultimately, him dying in the Macedonian attack.
0: And I would have to imagine that J.K. Simmons is involved in his life in some some way, shape or form. He's throwing a symbol <laughs> over his head. Yeah, he's, yeah. You're not... Are he, you dragging or leading? <laughs> slapping him in the face. I yeah. love that. I love it. All right. So before we do our, uh, our patented one to fives here and, and figure out where Ben Hur fits in the BPC calculator... We are going to talk about recommends. If you like Ben Hur, where would you go next? What would you do next? What movie, either either in a, a, a double feature, a palate cleanser, something to forget about Ben Hur, something whatever whatever you want to do, where where you move? So, Graham, why don't you go first? Here.
1: Yeah, uh, mine is a comedy of a of the similar time frame. It is Monty Python's Life of Brian, where it's a uh, it's a movie I haven't I watched it rec- I watched it recently after Ben Hur, and I watched I haven't watched it since I was in high school, and it's it's. Not as funny as I remember it, but there's still some pretty great moments in it. So, yeah, it, it's a kind of like uh, a, a comedic approach of a guy that has his life kind of in, constantly intersecting with Jesus' life. And they're, they're kind of – they were in these parallels. It's, very, it's funny. Uh, okay. All right.
0: And there, I believe there is a 1,000 and one one episode on Life of Brian, No.
2: There is, and that and that is my also that is oh, also really? my recommend. Yeah, wow, oh, uh, it's also I'll my to recommend. To that. I haven't listened to that one. I I and I rewatched it the other uh, the other day um, for multiple reasons. Y- yes, it is an episode of A um, Thousand One by One that we did, um, and another one of Ian's absolute favorite movies. Um, and I oh, re I, I re listened to our episode too because I wanted to kind of get into it, and it's it's so funny. You can tell when you listen to like an episode of ours, which, which one was a movie that I picked and which one was a movie that he picked. And this was such, (laughs) this was such a movie he picked. And, um, what I love about the movie is how it's, it's a, it's funny and it's mocking religion, but it's not mocking Christianity. It's mocking the idea of believing in something that you don't totally understand. And, um, yeah. And, and, and I think everybody is, is fantastic in it. Um, It's, it is not my, I, um... Holy Grail is my favorite Python movie, but Life yeah. of Brian is sure. so worth a watch. It is so funny. It is absolutely the right movie to watch if you're doing a double feature somehow with Ben Hur. <laughs> this is the absolute right movie to watch following it.
0: That's great. Wow. Awesome. Love it. Awesome. Okay, so look like yeah. that. double the double uh the double recommended. It. Yeah, it's great. And I have never seen it, so I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna go it's, out and watch it. You know what? Right things.
1: now it's for free on YouTube. I don't know how they pull that off.
0: Fire it up. But yeah, way. it's it's on YouTube right now. You know what's also free on youtube is is Lawrence of Arabia you can watch on youtube right now in its entirety uh that was wacky to me to to find out that but anyway so my my recommend here is super lazy and boring at first sight okay when when I say what it's gonna be and we've already talked about it today believe it or not but I want to talk about this movie okay because I'm tired of people burying this movie and making fun of this movie and teasing this movie oh no Adam you have you oh. you guys have teased this and made fun of it a bit on your <laughs> podcast and I'm gonna quote your your buddy Ian and. We need to deal with this shit, okay. My recommendation is Troy. Okay, why don't people like this movie? Troy is everything that anyone should ever want in a movie. It's f- it's fun, it's goofy in the right ways. There's good battle scenes. There's a great cast. Uh, what the beautiful people running around everywhere? What, what is what is the beef with Troy here? Let me let me know. I want to I want to know. I think.
2: If I'm quite honest, Troy suffers from the same thing that Ben Hur does, which it's just too fucking long. I've got. Is it? Is the run? What is the runtime of Troy? It's three plus. Know. It's three plus, or damn near it. Is it? Yes. I'm looking, Oh my god. And Let's you're right. Here. the The fight. It is three sixteen. Six, six, yes. six, oh, Holy shit! you're right. The fight. Wow. The fight between Hector and Achilles is phenomenal. Yeah, no, that's great. And and on a on a base subhuman level, Diane Kruger is just gorgeous in the movie. And then oh, and and Rose then, Byrne. And then you've got to top it off. You've also got Peter O'Toole and Brian Cox in the same movie. Let's go. But, but you're right. It's like you can't make all those pieces fit, right? It's just like it's like a bunch of Lego pieces from a bunch of different boxes, and you can't make a cohesive thing out of it.
0: Oh man, I'll tell you what. It it feels like about 25 minutes to me. I love it. <laughs> I love every second of it. It plays like a 90-minute movie for me. Um, I'm just happy the entire time. You have uh, – yeah, I, I, I don't know. Is, is Brendan Gleeson in that too? Yes,
1: yes. I don't am know. I editing that yes, yeah, is. Brendan Gleeson's in there too. He's having oh, no, my mom's he's, brother. Oh, he's Helen of Troy's wife, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah the husband. Yeah, yeah this,
0: uh, husband, yeah. not <laughs> wife. <laughs> yeah, husband. Uh, you know, Orlando Bloom would be my LVP in that one, I think. Um, God damn, we might just have to have a Troy episode and I just, you know, just a self-indulgent, self-indulgent Troy episode. (laughs) Oh yeah. Solo Troy episode. That'd be great. Actually. (laughs) I'll make it exactly three hours and 16 minutes too. We'll see. (laughs) Wow. Dude, Adam, you blew my mind that that movie's that long. And that is a testament to how much I love it because I have never once thought about the length of that movie while watching it. Like I, I just, I don't know. I just think it's so quotable. I, I, I love it. I love it, and maybe it's a guilty pleasure. Maybe it's uh, maybe that's that's what it is there. But I, I I don't
1: get why people rag on why rag on it. But there you go. I don't yeah. know. I think Adam summed it up perfectly. How it's it's um, the sum is not greater than the parts. Mm. Like everything, it looks like it should add up to be this epic movie, and it just kind of doesn't line up right. Man, when they roll the horse in, it's like <laughs>
0: oh, yeah, the
1: horse. <laughs> it's the Trojan horse. That's in this movie too.
0: Fuck yes. <laughs> I don't know. Well, whatever. Okay, listen. That is a
1: very long double. Go feature Go watch. Go. That's that is a lengthy double, double feature. feature.
0: You are, That's a. That's a work day. That yeah. is an entire work day. Um. So hey, Daria recommends Life of Brian twice. It seems like that's probably the one that you should watch. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to have a good time, you sack of wine. Watch Troy. It's a it's a hell of a flick, I know, and I'm I'm probably gonna watch it when I get home. You know, and that's that. Um, I will say though, the genre went to shit after Troy. Like a- any time they tried to go back to the sword and sandal stuff, they haven't done it well since then, in my opinion. The, the 300, I guess, was an attempt at it, but no, no bueno. Um, okay, so we're up to the one of fives Now Are we good? Yeah, good to go. That's so. right. So this is where we we take three three major sections of 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 movie making. And we give it the 1 to 5 rating. 5 being it checks every box you'd want it to for a Best Picture winner. This is something that some of our co-hosts have a little trouble with. They, want, they, they, they think 5 is the perfect movie, the best movie ever made, so no one gets a 5. You know, we've had problems with that in the past. But 5 is it checks every boxes. 1 is how the hell is this a Best Picture winner based on this topic. First category is performances. Real as simple as that. Second is how the movie's shot, how the movie's presented to the viewer. And then third is how the story is told, the themes, the message, the screenplay, the script, how it's delivered that way. So we'll start with performances,
1: which is an interesting one. Grant, I'm going to have you go first here. Oh, great. Um, (laughs) I'm teetering between a three and a four, to be honest, because... um, there's some performances that are really great. The, the main, like, but Hessen's performance isn't. But there's like Hessen's performance isn't great for me. Most of the supporting cast isn't that isn't that great either. If I could, I too bad I can't give point fives. Um, but I'll be I'll be generous and I'll give it um, I'll give it a four because I thought Masala was was that good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I thought he, I thought he was deserving of the nom and, and deserving of the win. All right. Adam, you're gritting gritting your teeth over there a little bit. What
0: what do you go? You're one of five.
2: Yeah, I think because of Masala, I give this a two. Um, Because without him, (laughs) I love it. Without him, uh, this would be a one. Uh, I I think people are giving serviceable to less than serviceable performances in this movie. Um, And I think that Stephen Boyd is great. Um, And as much as I appreciate what Heston did in the chariot race, that's about where my admiration for him stops in this movie. So it, it's a two for me.
0: Wow. Damn. Okay. Harsh. I um, it. I, I am going pretty firmly with a three here and where are we're, when I look at like threes with these, it's kind of like if I, if I see that someone was nominated, I'm surprised. That's kind of how I look at it. And, and this one, I saw someone, I so, saw Two people won. I went. They won for this. Like, oh, okay. And I and I, I like Charlton Heston's performance of this better than than, than you guys did. I, I I um I think he looks the part. I think he's fun. You know, I I had I had fun with his performance with it. I mean, maybe technically it's not great, but I Grant will tell you. I was typing out the ones that won, and it got to best actor. I'm like, whoa, hold yeah. on. He won best actor for this. So yeah. So to me, it, it's just a three. I mean, I think that. When when Masala's performance is the is the shine the shining part, but he didn't even get recognized by his peers, that's a little tricky. I think that the supporting actor win is horrific. Um, so I I, I kind of just settle in with the three. It seems like a, a good a good safe way to go. So a four or two know and a what? three?
1: No, I'm changing my to a three.
0: Oh, yep. Yeah. you swayed. There You're we go. Yeah. Move to the three. It yeah. does it does happen here. It yep. does happen. It's beauty of the podcast. I'm easily I'm easily convinced. <laughs> so so we have now a, a three, a two, and a three. There we go. How the movie is shot. Adam, I'm going to have you go first here. You're holding the the, the thunder stick over there.
2: (laughs) Sure, sure, sure. Uh, If I was commenting on the chariot race alone, five. I'm going to give it a three. uh, Because Mm. I think... I think that uh, what Grant was alluding to earlier with the the production value that sets the costumes, everything that went into the making of the movie, I think it's all top-notch. I actually don't think Weiler did enough with the camera. I actually don't think there are... There are a couple of shots. I mentioned the one with, with Jude, uh, Judah walking in the background with Jesus in the foreground. There's a the shot of... Mm-hmm. of um, judah returning after the crucifixion and we can see esther's reflection in the water on the floor there are a couple of good shots in the movie but for the most part it's it has that point and shoot feel to it where it's just a lot of people talking on screen and i don't think there were enough active choices made um, it's not bad, and that's why it's not like I don't think it's a two. I don't think it's below average. I think it is a serviceable way that it is presented, um, and the chariot yeah. race elevates it. But I, I got to give it a three.
0: Yeah, cool. So I have I have a very similar tape with a very different score. So I give it a five, um, and it's it and and I'll say I'll say this because what like as I was watching the movie, I notably was saying to myself, there's not really anything special going on with the camera work here. Yeah. This is, they're going through sets and they're, and they're going through scenes. And there's little moments, like I really love the, the Valley of the Leopards, the, you know, how they show the, the claustrophobia of that, and, and um, the, I, I like the, how they manage the ship scenes and this and that. But to me, you can't undo the gr- one of the greatest scenes ever captured on film. And if you have that in your movie, that's a five right there, and 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 cap it off with a you know with a, a cinematographer that I respect greatly in um, in Robert Isertis. Um, I, I just think if you have that in your movie and everything else is just a punt, you're you're winning the Super Bowl. That's just how I look at it. So I, it gets a five. It gets a five for me.
1: Uh, yeah, I went I went with a five also. Not so much for the cinematography of it, but for the the scale and the undertaking that was. Um, I mean, I I can't give the set design my MVP and not give this a five, and yeah. then the char the chariot race really puts that over the top for me. Kind of solidifies that for me. Yeah. So
0: yeah, cool. Uh, last is the themes and the stories and how they're delivered. Um, Adam, you're you're rolling hot right now. I'm gonna let you let you go first. Two. He's flashing the, the two. The deuce. Yeah. He's flashing I, the deuce.
2: And and it's tough because you're talking about a movie that is. Consistently referencing Jesus and and Jesus and and the way that uh, his stories and everything in the Bible gets told, it's all about themes. It's all about not being vague. It's about being very specific with the what you're going to learn from this, and and that's great in terms of like a book, the Bible. Things that you want to just learn something from, but I, I thought that it this was in terms of the story being told, it was overlong and it didn't trust the audience enough. So I, I gotta give it a two. I gotta give it a two.
0: Yeah, and that's that's fair. Um, I I am I gave it a three. Okay, so it's a rare three five three, which is kind of a weird a weird score. But um, I I think it's very. I liked what they were trying to do. I liked what they what they were trying to accomplish. It doesn't play great fifty years later, you know, or or sixty years later, or wherever we're at here with this. And it's a it 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 it's a careful recommend to someone. And when we're talking about story and we're talking about themes, I it, a lot of what they did worked for me specifically. I appreciated how they took a what could have been a real preachy over-the-top religious thing, because it was over-the-top in, in some of the, the filmmaking aspects of it. it. It just could have been, it could have gone way further south. So I do appreciate elements of that. I think anytime something's overly long, it's very tough to appreciate the storytelling and the aspects of the storytelling. And just overall, for me, it's a nice safe three. I do like how they delivered something that's considered, a, a, you know, an epic, an epic classic. So I'm not going to, Bang it out for two, where I I could be I could be convinced of that. I'll, I'll give you that, but I'm 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 pretty happy with this movie as an entity. I, I I enjoy it. Um, I appreciate it. I'm giving it a three for the storytelling and the themes.
1: Grant? Yeah, I'm giving it a um, a soft three. I I think there are some some elements that worked. The first uh, first portion of the movie, I, I I really did enjoy, and I was kind of surprised by how much i enjoyed it um, but man after that chariot scene this movie just drags mm. and it's really they try to they try to hammer home this point and they you know, it's like what adam said they don't trust it seems like they didn't trust the audience to kind of understand the themes of the movie and the points without laying it out ex- you know, specifically ex- explicitly um, so yeah it was a very soft three
0: yeah and uh, you know i have to say that there's a world where this is an easy 555 five, five. Like it's not like the it, it's not like this is a thing where you look at it and you're like, ah eh, this isn't this wasn't really gonna work or here this and that like and I think there are elements of the execution that hold it back, so three five three for grant, three, five three for me, and Adam, that was a two three two,
1: yeah, love it, yeah, I love it
0: all right, um so just uh we're, we're gonna before we go to the other nominees, we always a this isn't a who should have won podcast, we do like to discuss those other nominees I want. Adam, if you could just sum sum up in her for me in in a little bit here, how was this ex- experience of, of watching it? Did you did you like it a little more than you thought you would? Um, as the conversation made you look at it in a certain way, you, sum this, sum this one up for me.
2: I think when you watch any film for the purposes of taking notes to have a a real discussion about it, you pick up on things that you that went underappreciated before, um, and where the chariot race will always live. In the hierarchy of of wonderful film moments, there's no worry about that. Uh, Stephen yeah. Boyd's performance really elevated the the parts of the movie to me that I I initially remembered being kind of slow and not as important. And um, the 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 story not being told in the relationship between Masala and Judah, I found really interesting. <laughs> um, and I think that. This is this is a movie to be seen, and uh, for anybody thinking that the religious angle is going to be too much, it's really not. And this is coming from somebody who isn't religious, who didn't go to Catholic school, who doesn't, right? Who doesn't, I, who doesn't uh, fall into any sect of a religion. It doesn't. It doesn't beat you over the head with it, which I think could be a turnoff.
0: Yeah, and I was, you know, I, I was coming into this thinking you were going to beat this one down pretty hard, and I, I was pretty surprised at, at a lot of your takes, and it seemed like there was a level of appreciation here in in reflection of it uh, from you, and and I didn't know how I was gonna how I was gonna approach this again. This is a movie I saw about over a decade ago, so it's always tough when you know you revisit something. Like that and, and where it's going to go. And, and Grant, I literally, you were the wild card because I hadn't spoken a word to you about it. You saw it basically for the first time and, yeah. and didn't know where you were going to go. So this was, uh, I, I think, a, a real kind of fun, thorough discussion. I think we covered a lot of stops and I'm pretty happy with, uh, with our coverage here. No? Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think we
1: said everything that needed to be said.
0: Absolutely. All right. So as we said, this is not a who should have won podcast. We do like to discuss the other movies that were nominated that year. And I have a little bonus here, Adam, too, as if we haven't kept you long enough. Um, There's nothing like adding an extra segment. I also have the other movies from 1959 that are included in the book, 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die. So maybe you can just let us know whether you've done an episode on them or if you've heard of them or not. Because I think in many ways, the, the movies that were not nominated that are in the book are a little more intriguing than the ones that were nominated. For sure. We'll start with the ones that were nominated. And we'll start with one that I think most people are familiar with, at least as an entity. I don't know if they are, as if they've actually seen the movie, but it's The Diary of Anne Frank. So this is a uh, George Stevens-produced movie and directed by—George uh, Stevens is a director. I appreciate quite a bit, so—and, uh, I mean, the premise should be pretty— Straightforward. During World War II, a teenage Jewish girl named Anne Frank and her family are forced into hiding in the Nazi-occupied Netherlands. So obviously I know the story of, of, the, of the Diary of Anne Frank. Have either of you guys seen the movie, The Diary of Anne Frank? No, just the book.
2: Uh, I'm, I'm actually more familiar with the stage adaptation. There's a, there's a play version of this. I've never seen
0: the movie. Oh, wow. Well, and uh, was, it, was it like a Broadway deal?
2: Uh, I'm sure at some point it was on Broadway. I've, I've, I've seen like a a regional production of it, but there's a great chance that given the, the recognition, the, the familiarity of this character, I'm sure it had a Broadway
0: run at some point. Okay. Yeah. Now one, I mean, again, I hate to be like this, but it's just like what kind of one of those bummer stories that I don't know that I want to just revisit on a casual afternoon, but. Next, we have The Nun's Story. It's directed by Fred Zinneman. He's a, uh, a BPC-friendly face there. He's directed A Man for All Seasons, yep. which we've, uh, we've covered here. And he also directed From Here to Eternity, which is movie we have not covered yet, but will be coming up at some point. And that's, after, and that's uh, The Nun's Story. After leaving a wealthy Belgian family to become a nun, Sister Luke struggles with her devotion to her vows during crisis, disappointment, and World War II. Man, crisis, disappointment, and World War II. Three, three heavy things to have to deal with there. Um, it is a it's a Christian-y year here. We got nuns, we got Jesus and Ben Hur and all sorts of things going on. So a nun story. Had anyone heard of that one? No. Nope. I have not, no. Fred, Fred Zinneman, a good director, though. Uh, we will go next to Room at the Top. And you can kinda of see what they're saying before this is a bit of a blowout year as far as these these other kind of smaller scale movies. We're not winning Best Picture over Ben Hur. Right. Room at the Top is an ambitious young accountant plots to wed a wealthy factory owner's daughter despite falling in love with a married older woman directed by Jack Clayton starring Lawrence Harvey, Simone sig and Heather Sears. Anyone heard of a Room at the Top? I have not. No. <sighs> no. And I can't say that I have either. So we're
1: we're understanding why this was... The blowout that it was it's, it's really interesting going from a movie that came out in 2013 where we know every movie really well i know i know it. with this yeah
0: and finally we have one here that i have heard of before um and one that i i've, I've been wanting to watch here it's just a bunch of a bunch of accomplished actors and they're directed by otto Preminger. this is anatomy of a murder It's nominated for seven awards did not win any Uh, And that's in a murder trial. The defendant says he suffered temporary insanity after a victim raped his wife. What's the truth? And will he win the case? This one has Jimmy Stewart. It has Ben Gazzara, our buddy from from Roadhouse. I love it. And George C. Scott in the mix here for this one as well. So uh, uh, one of the Scrooges. Adam, have you seen Anatomy Murder? Yeah,
2: I have. Um there's a, a a pretty good Criterion release of it. Um and and Jimmy Stewart gives a really good performance. I think it also is infamously uh I think it's the first film to casually use the word rape in it. Um Ooh, it's, interesting. It's a, it's a good it's a good trial movie. Um it's good. It's good. I, I recommend it.
0: Okay. Yeah. So fifty nine. We're like moving toward the end of the Hayes Code. I think it, the Hayes Code technically goes till about like sixty five, but something like that. Yeah. You get to the point where they're starting to realize they can push some some limits here. So those are the nominees. It's easy to see that Ben Hur won as far as that. I mean, I don't realistically see a nineteen fifty nine Academy not checking the Ben Hur box there. I would imagine that if you looked at the scorecard there, it was probably a bit of a blowout. Um, I want to roll through these other movies here that were in, in the book for 1959. They're the 1001 movies you must see before you die. But I want to I, I talk about the two top ones first. And that's Some Like It Hot, and that's uh, North by Northwest. Now, I know there's a 1001 by one episode on North by Northwest. Am I correct with that one? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you're, and that's – is that your favorite Hitchcock movie, I think, right?
2: Uh it- at, at the moment, yes, I would say I go back and forth between that and Vertigo, um, but there's something, oh God, there's something so propulsive and
0: fun about North by Northwest. Yeah, Grant, you seen North by Northwest? I have not. No. Oh, good. Joey was the one. Joey, the Joey recently, was raving yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, real Long Island vibes on that too. There's a scene on Long Island. I think there's like a there's okay. a scene that happens in Glen Cove. Okay. You know, so it's um, a, a good one there for sure. Kind of later Hitchcock, but a lot of fun and and. You wish that they would still make movies like that that kind of trust the trust the audience to do a lot of their own work and and let, follow let, a, let a, a tricky infer, plot. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and and some like it hot. As, is that one? He's uh, a Billy Wilder.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. We that was not that's not an episode of the show, uh, but a, a, a classic movie. And you know, one of the few. It's actually it's, it's funny. My, my wife and I were talking about this the other day. Some like it hot might be. Really, one of the only movies where the cross-dressing in a comedy works, because it's these two guys who have to pretend to be women because that's how they're in the band. Um, high I mean, highly recommend *Some Like It Hot*. There's, there's no way around it. You have to mm-hmm. see this movie.
0: Yeah, it is a, a, a totally a, a must-see movie, and and it is just insane to me that it's not nominated for best picture. I just don't, I don't, I don't, I can't process it because it's not even like. Billy Wilder is a guy that you've you've recognized in the past with Double Indemnity last weekend, and yeah. I, I just don't. It doesn't make sense to me that I guess maybe because it's the comedy and they don't they don't like to to tip the cap to the comedy. But those to me are two movies that should have been in, in the mix here. But uh, some of the other ones in, in Fifty Nine, they're in the book. Just let me know if they're, they're ones that you've heard of or not, or, or that you've seen. The Four Hundred Blows.
2: Oh yes, yeah, that's an episode. That's that's uh, Truffaut. That's a, that is an amazing oh, nice. movie. That's, Ian and I went back and forth uh, uh, with some, some different New Wave directors. We weren't, a, we weren't big for Renoir, but Truffaut and that movie. That movie is great. Highly recommended. Cool. It.
1: That's, that's a movie I've heard of. I've, I've never seen or or do I know much about it, but I definitely will check that one out.
0: And I think I recently saw that on a streaming service. I have to double-check that because I think that one might actually be available it somewhere. It might be on but, HBO um, Max. Yes. Okay. Yeah, maybe that's it. But and you said there's an episode of I got to check that one out. Uh, pickpocket? Ever, anyone heard of this one? Pickpocket. That
2: is no. um oh it's a it's another it's a French director as well. It's the same it's uh, uh Luc Bresson, I think. Um that's mm-hmm. one of his I haven't seen. Uh it's he did like a man escaped and uh largent he, he he's got some good stuff. He, he I think he likes crime but not like it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a crime theme, but he he's a good director.
0: Cool, very cool. Um, Hiroshima, Mon I've heard of
2: it. I haven't seen it. No. There's a Criterion release of yeah, that.
0: Cool. If foreign movies here, at Best Picture casts are not uh, in a lot of our wheelhouses, as you may have heard if you've uh, if you've listened to a Best Picture cast episode before. I try to expand uh, expand my knowledge on them where I can. I, I don't. Aspire to pronounce any of these names says you Crabble, are very no. especially French for some
1: reason you have a real I have hard a hard time, time with
0: French, that. yeah, <laughs> I can do Italian I do pretty Italian, pretty
1: good. well, no, you uh-huh. just say something in a, in an Italian accent and you just yeah
0: it's all about it's all about selling baby sure um ride lonesome sounds like a western no, uh, it sounds like it I've no, no idea ride Lonesome. Yeah. yeah, black orpheus that is i bu-
2: oh. No, that's Black Narcissus. Um, I don't know Black Orpheus. Nope.
0: I know that it's a French film, and I know that it won foreign film this year. So it, oh, okay. it, the 400 Blows was not nominated because you can only get one movie per country, which is a weird system to me. I don't yeah. know why they do it like yeah, that. Yeah, st- and that's still so, the way so, it is. Yeah, yeah I, I don't get that. But Black Orpheus was the one that was recognized in France and did win. So apparently, apparently both. Uh, then, of course, we have Ben Hearn and Anatomy of a Murder. Natty of a Murder is the only other nominee that was also in the book. Um, Shadows, 1959. Shadows, does that ring a bell? Uh,
2: I don't. No, I think I'm. I, I, it sounds like a John Cassavetes film, but I don't think that that's right. I don't know.
0: And we're rounding it out with The World of a Pooh, Apoor Sens, Sensar.
2: Yeah, so that's a part of the. Um, Apu Trilogy uh, Actually one of the last episodes that Ian and I did together Was on Pather Panchali the,
0: Okay and that's in that trilogy I remember you guys I, I did listen to that episode It's one of the ones I listened to without watching, the, um, watching the, uh, the movie But yeah so there was like a little bit of a trilogy there Yeah yeah. And next we have a, a, a John Wayne Dean Martin flick here And we have uh, Rio Bravo I haven't and that seen one is a western. I haven't seen that one It's a blind spot for me too and then finally, it's Floating Weeds, which is Uki Gusa. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. yeah I, it sounds I, like Japanese?
2: I, it, it, and I definitely I, have heard I, of I, that. I it's a very, it, as I understand it, it's a very languid film. There's not a whole lot going on.
0: So, so probably one I'll skip. But um, yeah, so that's it. That's it for 1959, and that's it for this episode, guys. This was fun. This was a blast. We did it. We did it in a very efficient manner, too. I think like uh, you kept us on our, on our toes here. This is Adam for
1: our three and a half hour for the movie for the episode to be shorter than the movie is really saying something.
0: It is. It is. It's. It, we got a little help here with Benner. <laughs> we definitely got a little <laughs> yeah. a little room to play with here. <laughs> but Adam, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for putting up with us and joining us here because we do. Uh, we do talk forever here, so thank you for sectioning off your day to, to join us.
2: Oh, n- no worries, no worries. I, it's great, because my, my wife has actually come in a few times, and I've been like, are you almost done? And
0: I'm like, yeah, we're almost done. So uh, so no, but no worries, no worries. <laughs> that's, that's how it goes. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So uh, tell, tell people how uh, how they can find you on social media or wherever it might be.
2: Exactly, yeah, uh, so 1,000 and one one and... Below freezing. You can find us on uh, Twitter and Facebook for both of those, and Below Freezing has an Instagram, uh, and we're we're pretty we're pretty active on those. Um, and again, we've got a, a run of of tribute to Ian episodes on a thousand one by one, which by the time this comes out, we should be right in the the meat of. And below freezing, we're we're always coming out with some some crazy nonsense. So you know, find us on any of those, and and let us know what you think.
0: Excellent, that's great, man. And and you know, I I, I obviously wish Ian could be here with this, but I'm happy that we did go through it and get our little tribute to Ian here and in our BPC world too, because it's um, you know, that that's that's important to me and and yeah. and, and, and
1: that. So, right. uh, Grant, thanks for for hopping in on this one too. I, it was my pleasure, Adam. It was great recording with you. It was. Uh... It the first time, really, really doing this on on our on our show on our channel, like a full length episode, it was it was really great. Thank you very much for being a part of it. Oh yeah. like breaking grounds.
0: So. I'm thrilled, thrilled. Hell yeah! Well, thank you so much for uh, for putting up with us here for this Ben Hur episode. We will be back next week, and uh, we'll we'll see what it is. And, and we're we'll, we're having our um our top ten episode series too, which is going to be fun. They're gonna That's they're gonna, gonna release in alternate yeah. weeks, so we'll have our regular best picture episode, and then. Uh, on on the off weeks, we'll have a different best picture cast co host doing their their top ten favorite movies. So it, it's everyone right. kind of took a different take on it. So it should be fun. Maybe Adam, we got to have you on to do one of those uh, yourself here too. So. Oof, I uh,
2: my my number one won't change, but two through ten is oof. On any different day, it's a different
0: answer. <laughs> that's right, that's right. I love it. Well, anyway, until next week. Thanks for listening. You damn dirty apes. <laughs> that's it. Boom. <laughs> We started with a little Ben. We're going to end with a little her.
3: You're the that I need in the morning. You're my sunshine in the coming. Won't you give yourself to me? Give it all. all. I just want to see. I just want to see. How beautiful you are. You know that I see.